odd and gods and belief and what makes people be alive and what keeps them alive and what makes their lives worth living and all of that kind of great stuff. We are rejoined by last week's guest, Valerie from nightministries.org, which you should give them money. Yes. Um, And... And I'm so excited that you came back because I'm so last week we talked a lot about your big projects uh, here in San Francisco with Night Ministry and helping people on the street and and reducing loneliness and, um, you know, dealing with homelessness and trying to change lives. And you said that there's a vigil coming up. Yes, it's actually uh, tomorrow night, the 19th. Uh, We every year. Uh, Night Ministry in conjunction with the Interfaith Council and Faithful Fools and the Coalition on Homelessness uh, do a vigil for people who have died outside or, you know, marginally housed in shelters and so forth. And uh, we always do it on the Thursday closest to the winter solstice. So that's tomorrow. And it's at UN Plaza at six o'clock by the fountain. And everybody is welcome to come. It's a a very multi-faith service. And uh, we do prayers and we read the names of every single person um, who's died outside or marginally housed Um, and we we collect them for weeks ahead uh, you know from the coroner and people who do memorials and so forth Uh, unfortunately we have a really long list this year it's 263 people last I saw it might have grown a little since the last email I saw so it's it's partially to remember those folks and you know memorialize them and partially to make a very public showing of this is not okay. Right. It is not right to have that many people in San Francisco die unsheltered. Uh, are there, are this, is this people freezing to death? Is this, is that they had it's, pneumonia and they, and then they expire? Is it, you mentioned fentanyl? Yeah, it's, it's a combination of things. So some of it is exposure. Um, you don't really freeze to death in San Francisco so much because our temperatures don't get low enough, but exposure will do it to you. You know, it gets down to 40, 50 degrees and you're out in it night after night, uh, you do get sick, pneumonia, things mm-hmm. like that. It can exacerbate um, underlying conditions, um, HIV, AIDS, those kind of things. Oh, wow. And, um, and a lot of people OD because a lot of people use to try and cope with how hard it is to live outside. Sure. And, um, and we've had, um, this year wet. especially, it's wet and it's cold and people aren't nice to you. Right. And it's just, it's a hard life. And so people use. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, to me, not surprising. And unfortunately, you know, you get more, fe- you know, a stronger fentanyl than you thought or, right. you know, higher heroin mixed with something that you don't realize it's mixed with. And um, and that's it. Right. There were the three kids. I, I think it might be three years ago now, though. They thought they were shooting meth and it was fentanyl. Yeah. And so they had no idea. That, right. And they just all three of them just died. Boop, boop, boop. Right next to each other in a little doorway on Haight Street. And it yeah. was like. And when do we, when do we care? When do we go? These are someone's kids. How did this become okay? Yeah. (laughs) They were kids. They were probably all under 25. They're someone's children. Yeah. And, um, so what is the, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter what people are dying from. It's that they're dying on the streets and we need to bring, we need to make this visual for people to say, this is, this is a real problem. This is a real problem. These are real people. They're all somebody's kids. Right. You know, even if they're 60 or 70, unfortunately, a lot of folks on the list are pretty young. The ones, we don't know the ages for everybody, but uh, some of them are quite young, even under 20. Wow. Um, 
to just it kills me i'm like my That's my youngest child is 28 so like anybody younger than that is really a kid to exactly me. i just um um it just kills me and um so this is our way of saying they mattered sure and it, this is not okay yeah and again people can donate to nightministry.org yeah. definitely do that check out the vigil tomorrow night so it's like right after sunset or yeah it's at six, six o'clock, o'clock so it's 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 you know, pretty dark by then. The Sky Watchers are doing a, a processional down from the Faithful Fools. They make, uh, they did it last year. They made a banner for every single person oh. and with their name on it, so that every wow. person has a banner. Yeah. Um, they were gonna do a coffin for every person until they learned how long our list was. <laughs> right. So like, oh. so, and that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of wood. That's a lot of materials yeah, fabric and fabric. And just, yeah. yeah that they stuff. do a great job. Singers of the Street will be there singing. That's great. Um, Hymns and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a good service. Okay, it's tomorrow, six o'clock. So we didn't get to talk about it much last week on some call me Tim because we talked about the ministry that you do. But usually on this show, I ask people like either how they found the precepts that they live by or the faith that Mm -hmm. they subscribe Mm -hmm. to or it was thrust upon them and then they changed their mind what was your sort of origin story to the cloth (laughs) okay um i i grew up in the united church of christ and uh i always felt called to the ministry as far back as I can remember. And I can remember being a little kid in the pew and the preacher saying, go into the world and preach my gospel. And I thought, oh, that's me. He's talking to me. I mean, even as just a very small child. Um, And I didn't know what form that ministry would take. I pictured myself in a parish because that was kind of the only ministry that I knew about at the time. Um, And um, when I uh, learned about night ministry and started doing night ministry, it was like, Oh, right. This is where I'm supposed to be. And so I just, uh, I was getting ready to get ordained and someone on my ordination committee was an assistant night minister at the time. Uh And he said, I think, you know, this is a good match for you. And so I volunteered for a little while. And uh, just about the time I was ready to be ordained, a fellowship became available for two years. And so I said, pick me, pick me. And I was one of the fellows. And uh, by the time that two years was over, I was completely hooked. And I just said, I'm not leaving. So you have to hire me. Um, And they did. (laughs) So you came from church of christ is that that's a denomination of born again christians is it presbyterian is it episcopalian so it's actually united church of christ united church of church of christ is our pretty um conservative okay united church of christ is pretty liberal right because you're a lady of the cloth i'm a a lady right right and um we ordained uh one of our parent denominations um the Congregationalist, and I'm kind of in the congregational stream of the UCC. They ordained their first woman in 1853. Wow. Yeah. She couldn't get a job, but they did it. But they ordained her, right? Yeah. They said that you are allowed to have a relationship yeah. with. You preach, teach, preach, oversee teach. sacraments. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so it's nothing huh. new in the UCC. Um, that granted, when my church hired our first woman minister as an associate pastor when I was a little girl. Oh, wow. Uh, my dad was a deacon, and I remember him coming home really late from meetings. So even then, they were still, like, really, you know, 100-plus years after sure. Antoinette Baum was um, well, a ordained, woman, they were still arguing about, oh, could we have a woman? Well, but you it's know. interesting because women teachers, like, women have traditionally taught in the homes or even when we were homesteading and when women were teachers, but yet men were professors— 
and pastor. Right. So it's funny. And it's the same thing when you look at, you know, cooking women have primarily cooked in the home for years and years. And then suddenly chefs are of like the male persuasion. So it's interesting where the work has been done for so long by women, but then the positions of power have been usurped by the, you know, the, the patriarchy. Historically, as women enter different professions, the pay for those professions tends to go down. Right. Uh, uh, not always, but uh, historically, it's, at least here in the U.S., that's been true. So it's, it's yes, there's this thing of women's work not being valued. Um, and in the church, in the Christian church, you're like, come on. It was women who were first to preach the gospel. Who's the first person going to say he's oh. risen? It's women running from the tomb. Mary Magdalene. Yeah, and, and the dudes don't believe them until they go see for themselves. Right. But it was women. Doubting Thomas. You know, who are first. Yeah, he didn't even believe the other guys. But yeah. it was like women who first preached the gospel. So don't tell me wow. I can't preach. Yeah. You, you know, the f- it's just... Um, See, those are the th- kind of things in the Bible that... Those are the nuggets that I I want to recognize and pull out because yeah. they do honor women and that Jesus honored women. Yeah. And yeah. I'm 100% down with that. But it seems like the large-scale societal idea of religion is like rooted in the patriarchy and is about keeping women down. But then we can look at places in the Bible where women were the first to preach the gospel, where uh, women Women. brought community because of Adam and Eve. And instead of thinking of Eve as the servant, you brought it up last week saying, well, no, she was communion. She was fellowship. He needed, he couldn't just talk to animals. They needed, it's about togetherness as people. Right, right, right. God says you, you shouldn't be alone. You shouldn't be alone. Not like you need yes. somebody to sit and wash your feet or make your dinner or whatever. You right. need a companion. Sure. And um, it's it's a woman who, you know, women changed Jesus's mind, right? Right. He, the Syrophoenician woman is like, you know, heal my daughter. And he's like, you're not Jewish. And she's like, come on, dude. <laughs> you know, he calls her a dog and she keeps pressing until she changes his mind huh and so jesus had a little prejudice there for a second yeah wow woman that changes his mind well and that's so interesting because then it proves that jesus was a man like he is not that's what makes him blameless is that he's not only the son of god but he's also an actual man and for and men uh, us uh, people have prejudices and for for that to be acknowledged I've, in the bible i think it's very interesting that he did have a prejudice against someone and his mind was changed. yeah it was it was it was a racial prejudice more than a gender thing right but it's a woman that changes his mind about it right and you um and you look at luke and acts and um it starts to be this story of expanding who's welcome uh-huh. Right. It starts off like, okay, I'm just calling Jews. And then it expands and expands and expands. Uh, Sean Brooke and others have pointed this out. Uh, it's not my own thinking by any means. But when you read it, you watch how it's like, oh, okay, them too. Oh, yeah, yeah, them too. Oh, yeah, yeah, and them. And okay, now everybody, whole world. You know, right. it just, it, the story expands and grows. And it's... Um, well, and Jesus is about being inclusionary. But I feel like so much of the Old Testament is about exclusion. But then is it because it's contextually with where the Jewish people were at that time? Yeah, because they were an impressed people, right? right? And they're struggling to keep their identity. Sure. You know, they're carted off to Babylon. They come back. Um, 
what uh what was done in that time is you go in and you conquer people and you take all the elites the rich people and the rulers and all of them and you exile them but you leave all the farmers in place because you got to farm the land right right right. and then you bring in a bunch of farmers and 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 manual workers from somewhere else you've conquered and you and you mix up the population and sort of destroy people's cultural identity Uh um and so that goes on, and then the elites come back from Babylon, and, and that's where you start getting, like, Ezra and Nehemiah, and I don't like them, but they're like, you have to divorce all your, whoops, you have to divorce all your foreign wives, you have to, we have to try and get our cultural oh. identity back. And unfortunately, they do it in some kind of reprehensible ways, um, sure. saying, you know, all these other people who were brought in, you know, uh, tough luck for them, you know, we're just going to be us and divorce your wife if she wasn't Jewish to start with and all this kind of thing. And um, Oh, and by the way, now we found all these laws, found all these laws in the ruins of the temple. Right. Um, that's, that, and then you start to get all of this, um, that's where you start to see all of the laws about um, all the things that we're going to do to make us distinctly Jewish and preserve our cultural identity. Sure. So it's, it's this, I mean, as always with human beings, it's this really complicated struggle. Like you totally get, of course you want to keep your cultural identity. You don't want that just diluted and, and, um, erased, of course, you know, but then people go about it in some mean ways and some, some right. okay ways. And, but that, that's what's, that's still what's, isn't that still what's happening? Like there's still, well, right. we're still dividing Down through among, history, yeah. right? I, it seems like it's kind of human nature to, to split groups or be sectarian. Did you ever see Life of Brian? Yes. Okay, so there's this thing where they decide Brian's the Messiah and they're all chasing him and his sandal falls off and he's just like, forget that, and he keeps running. And somebody's like, the sandal! And, and he's also dropped a gourd and somebody's like, no, the gourd! And I'm like, that's sectarianism. Like, right, like right. We worship, just, yeah, You know, exactly. three minutes into worshiping this guy, they're splitting sure. and arguing about it. And, and human beings do that. Um, Why? Why? That, that's the thing, though, is that is that why religion exists is to help us bridge those gaps. But then it also seems that sometimes like when, when we're dealing especially with monotheistic religions that believe that there is one God, are we not all talking about the same God? But then why do we have such issues with people that study or practice uh, Islam? Why do we have problems with the Jews? Why do the Jews have problems with them? We're all talking about the same mono... It's the same God, right? Is right. It? it? Or are we like, no, it's a different God? Um, I, I, among the Abrahamic religions, I think there's, for most people, this general, general agreement that we're all looking at the same God. And where the... Um, breakdown sometimes happens is everybody's going but like we know him better we've got the right idea and that's that's not a hundred percent true across every follower of any of those religions you know it's um you know i mentioned the interfaith council at the beginning and the service is very interfaith um you know it's most people in most of those religions are like, yeah, I'll do my thing and you do your thing. Unfortunately, the people who are like, no, they're wrong, they're bad, they're going, those are the loud people. Right. But they're not the majority. And it's, and it's true in Christianity. It's true in Islam. It's, it's true um, Judaism, not so much. You don't hear so much of it anyway, but um, I'm sure it's there in certain streams of Judaism, but you don't seem to hear so much of it. Or but like, other religions, Buddhism let's look and, at the Asatru and all that. The, the Israel-Palestine issue. Okay. Is that a racial issue or is that a religious issue? Or is it both? Because mm. the Palestinians are, you know, on the Gaza Strip, they're sort of imprisoned now and they're not, they're 
primarily not Jews. <laughs> they're they're Muslims, right? Yeah, Muslims that's... and Christians. And um, given how many smart people who tr- have tried to sort that whole mess out and failed, I feel like it's a little above my pay grade. Sure. But um, you know, Israel's created after World War II, right? Yeah. It, it didn't exist in the modern world as a country in that way. And it makes sense. These folks have been persecuted. Hitler's been killing them, you know, by the millions. Let's give them their own safe space. Okay, that's fine. That's good. And again, we get into this complicated thing of like, here's this good thing. But lo and behold, there's those all these people living here. Right, there were and people. And you get right. into this like, well, we need the land. So off you go. And the people who are living there are like, but we've been here a thousand years. Right, Our right. families have been here a thousand years. No, you can't have it. And so you get this conflict. Right. Um, and it's the and water. And it's much more complicated than that. Than of like, of course. And, and it's the water because Israel does have fresh water sources which is like crazy because it's a desert so there's there's water issues there's religious issues there's land right issues yeah it's i mean i'm not as familiar with it as i probably should be but you know follow the many like who's who's getting what out of owning that land and and who's getting what of taking that land away from the palestinians i'm i'm i do fall pretty solidly on the side of the Palestinians because I don't like the way the uh, Israel as a country treats them. Um, there are a lot of people within Israel, Israelis within Israel trying to change it. So it's not sure. all of Israel, but, um, you know, the, the, the walls and you can't even, um, I had a friend who lived there and like, she's ready to deliver her baby and she can't get to the hospital oh because the stupid gosh. checkpoint is so far backed up. Wow. You know, and then you see how they go in and oh. bomb children and yeah, <laughs> tear right. their homes yeah, down exactly. and destroy their farms. So it's like Israel is not acting um, in the right way towards, towards, I mean, there's just, you know, you don't, I don't think have to have your historical biblical borders, which is, I guess what they're kind of aiming for. Sure. You could share. Just right? share. share. Let's all share. um, Share, share. But, you know, human beings don't tend to do that. It's not just Israel. It's anybody with the power. I mean, look at European Americans when we come to this continent, right? Oh, absolutely. We get the guns and we've got the germs and we just right. come in and, and said, this is our out. land. I manifest destiny. Yeah, Everything yeah. I see is for God, God, you know, God gave God it to me. God as an excuse. Right. And use God as an excuse. Sure. Uh, which is always... It's got to bother like It's got to make you angry, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's, you know, I was... Um, after Columbine, uh-huh. that next Sunday, I sit down with my seventh and eighth grade church school class, and I'm like, "Okay, there goes our curriculum that we were going to talk about. We got to right. talk about it because this is their age group." And we got into this discussion of sin, and this eighth grader, this 13 year old kid, says it's hurt. sin is hurting other people and tell and saying it's God's will. And I thought, "Wow, oh my God, this is a 13 year old saying wow. this." Um, Wow, that and well, there, yeah, it's and and it's I've God's will for Bangladeshi that. children just to be sewing until their fingers bleed. Right, it's just right, it's God's right. will. It's God's will for us to take over the continent. It's God's will for us to bomb the Palestinians. I mean, it's right. I've, sure. To this day, that is still my favorite definition of sin. Wow. You hurt other people and say, "Oh, but God wants me to," or God says it's okay. Right. I mean, that's. I mean, broadly, I think of sin more as anything that takes us out of relationship with God or takes us out of relationship with other human beings, because we're meant to be in those relationships. Right. Right. So that's kind of if you want a very broad definition no, of sin, but that that's the idea of I'm going to hurt you and say, "Nope, God wanted me to." I, I, I agree though that with definition. that that it takes you out of for those who are don't subscribe to. A, 
a religion or a, a relationship with a creator or being right, right. to say that it takes you out of relationships with other people right. is exactly what it does because you know you know when you're like even when you're little kids right and they're playing and one of them goes like I want that toy and they grab the toy from the other child that takes them out of the relationship with the other right. child and they try and hide it from you right right then they're like, <laughs> like they this know is my okay. yeah they know they're doing something that is something that is selfish that is for them that's taking them out of a relationship right. that's it doesn't selfishness take you out of relationships yeah, with other yeah, people because yeah, right. radical self-interest is the opposite of caring about the people around you and how your right, right, actions right, affect right, them. Right, 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 exactly. So it becomes, that's my toy. And when you're a baby, it's like, I want it, I take it. But then you realize as you grow that that's not good, that, right. that, that it ruins, that they're not suddenly, well, none of the kids want to play with me. What am I doing? Oh, it's when I... It's when I take, take things, toys, yeah. right? Or it's when I do this, or it's when I have sex with somebody's husband, or it's when I right, right. Like, I just now take what t- I want, I, you and then know, you've and taken I'm, yourself out of one relationship right. and another relationship, right? And it's you know, unfortunately, if you get rich enough, what happens is now I'm going to take all of this labor without paying adequately sure, for it, sure, and I don't care that I'm not in good relationship with my anyone, workers, you know. It's so because money makes well, I mean. And once you have enough money, you can buy relationships. Yeah, but not satisfying ones. Well, I mean, I feel. I mean, I. I guess opinion, I know. I, mean, I haven't been. I've never been rich enough. Yeah, to I've do never that. been rich. I've so never been rich yeah, enough to buy people. But I mean, I'm sure that like, you know, Oprah's personal assistant loves her because yeah. you know, like, because you're paid to to do something like that. It's mm-hmm. it becomes a. I mean, if I was paid a lot of money to love someone, I would love them. I would love them so much. That's yeah, why I love being a, a nanny. I take care of other people's mm-hmm. children and I'm paid to do it. And I love it. I love yeah. their, but I love their kids anyways, but it's right, nicer right. to be paid for it. Right. Right. I still love kids. But it's just, yeah, but you would love those kids anyway. Cause those I kids are those, those kids. cool kids anyway. It's, and my daughter's a nanny too. And she yeah. loves I her love kids it. and I she thinks kids. about how she works with them and yeah. what's good for uh, them and what's kind of coming next for them developmentally. I mean, she thinks sure. about all that stuff. No screen she doesn't time. get paid enough to, to, to get to think about all that stuff, but she right. thinks about it because she cares about it. Yeah. Uh, not, not that the family she works for aren't lovely. You're all lovely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, re- but and it's, it's relationships. And when you form relationships. relationships with, with, and then it's based on trust. I, I mean, I, I understand sin because sin breaks down, you know, lying is a sin because it breaks down trust. Really? Yes. It's those things where things that destroy relationships. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense doing to me. Doing things sexually that you shouldn't be doing. Right. Lying, hurt, killing people, you know, all those things that we think of as sin, right. they all take right. out of relationship. Here's the cool thing in Hebrew. In the Hebrew Bible, and we, we call the Old Testament the Hebrew Bible, the word that most commonly gets translated as sin, and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, but it's hata. My poor Hebrew teacher just used to whinge every time I had to read. But um, in Hebrew, it's just like wandering off the path. It's Uh, not like sin, this heavy, heavy thing. It's wandering off the path. So you can wander back on. Sure. It's not. So, yes, it takes you out of relationship, you know, and if it's bad enough, maybe that's really hard to heal. But if you lie to your best friend and then you go like I don't know I really should have told them the truth and you go and you apologize and you you can just wander back onto the path you can come back into relationship and I I 
because we're created for relationship, I think that makes it possible. Yeah. This sort of uh, rupture and repair right. in relationships. Because we all screw up. Right, we yes, just to err as human. And you have yes. to go, oh, yeah, I did do that. But I'm it's really acknowledging sorry. it. But when you acknowledge yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it yeah, helps yeah. you grow back together because it builds, rebuilds that trust. Right, right. And, and, and to have the other person accept that. I mean, it's like in my best friendships and my best relationships, of course you get pissed at each other when you're being authentic with one another all the time. You get angry, you do things, you step on each other's toes or you say and do things you shouldn't do. Yeah. But if you could be brave enough to go, you know, ow, that hurt me. And the other person can be brave enough to go, oh, yeah, I see that. I'm sorry. Yeah then that relationship ends up stronger. Yes. So those are like my strongest relationships where we can do that with each other. Right. But acknowledging, it's it's saying, uh, it's acknowledging it and saying I did something wrong and making amends as opposed to just ignoring it forever and never right, looking right. at it in the eye again. Right. So yeah, yeah. So when you have a, like a genuine prayer, prayer of repentance, right. then you're saying like, oh yeah, God, I screwed up. I messed up. I'm sorry. I'm going to try and do better. Yeah. Help me do better. Right. Right. Sure. Right. And it's God's nature, I believe, to go, okay, let's try it again. Sure. I mean, and, and biblically, that's totally supported. Like, how many times does God get mad at Israel? And well, go, and like, we're done. Yeah, Moses messed up a bunch of times. And Moses like messes up. Aaron, he messes and, up. Yeah. Right, Jacob. Yeah. I mean, oh. it's just... Peter, you yeah. know, and he's yeah, the, the rod Jesus builds a church on. But right. he's like, you know, uh, his name means rock. You know yeah. this, right? In Greek, yeah. Peter is rock. And, and my uh, New Testament professor used to say, because he had a head like a rock. Like he just <laughs> never gets it. He never gets it. And yet Jesus and God are still like, okay, yes, you're doofus, but you're the rock we're going to build a church on. Right. Which, which is, which is always coming back, which means we can always come back right. and heal relationships. And that anyone can have a relationship with. Right. Because right. if even, if, if he's like, I mean, he denied him three times. He said, are, are you, I would never do that. I would never do that. And right, then right. he was out of fear. He's like, oh yeah, who's that guy? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, nope, right, no right, idea. Right, no right. idea who that guy is. Like right after, so quickly. Right after. But then. But showing after. that the fallacies, that if, if the person with big fallacies can have the church built on top of them. Right. Then who, you know, we all have a chance to. Exactly. Commune it's with the divine. One of the things that just breaks my heart so much on the street is meeting people who feel like they're not worthy of God's love. Oh. And it, which you see a lot because yeah. you know, often people have made some real mistakes getting there. And you say to somebody, God loves every single part of you. Often they just start crying. Sure. You know, because it's not a message they're getting from society. Right. Unfortunately, U.S. culture as it is right now says you're only lovable if you're rich and beautiful and right and yeah and um, you know charming and all of that like you have to check all these sort of superficial boxes to be worthy but it's not really true because God's always picking the people who are screwing up left and right to do God's work (coughs) that's not how God looks at us and Jesus was down with prostitution and I say legalize sex work he was like this is the thing you're going to prosecute anybody, prosecute the Johns, but really just right. legalize the whole thing, regulate just it. Legalize the you whole know, thing and regulate it. And people. then you don't, then you, people could, you could actually give people the opportunity to be honest about it. Like maybe if, now, 
I'm in a committed relationship with my boyfriend. Uh-huh. But if anything was happening like sexually that I wasn't doing or that he wanted, I would hope that a, he'd bring it to me and we could discuss it and see right, if I could right, work right. on that. But if it was one of those like hard stop, no way. If there was a sex worker who could facilitate that and we were both being open and honest and safe and it was legal, like, all right, then it's, I don't necessarily see it as a sin because it's being open and honest and we're no, there's no, no one's in the relationship. There's no trespassing. Like my last big hangup. So I probably would say no for myself, but if it's, but the open and honest thing is where you put your finger on it, open and honest, and you're not hurting each other. Both Jen, I mean, I have plenty of friends who are polyamorous. Sure. But they do it in this really integrity-filled way. Right. Where everybody in the... Just checking in all the time. Everybody in the relationship okay with this? Right. And if somebody's not okay, then they work it out. Just like you would in a couple relationship with just two of you. Sure. You know, and it's and it's just as important if you're in a monogamous relationship of any stripe to be checking in with each other. Absolutely. Is this okay? Are you down with this? Is this cool? Not just che- sexually, but like how right, we're going to spend the money and raise the kids. And, exactly. You know, uh, which way we're putting the toilet paper on, whatever. Sure. All of it. Yeah. All of it. Um, and Scheduling, behaviors. Sch- like yeah. all of it. No, the seriously. Like thing. Yeah. I mean, I really, I feel like more marriage, you know, the marriage will break up and they'll say because of infidelity or whatever, but long before that like somebody was leaving the towels on the floor right or somebody else wasn't putting the seat down right you know it, or that they the weren't that drive people crazy when you used to spend time together doing certain things and then that goes away if you don't reconnect in other ways and find those ways to spend time with each other then things start breaking yeah, down because we're creative for connection and if you're right. not connected you're not gonna be happy that's that's one of the things that's so I used to be married um, years uh-huh. and years ago, and it didn't it didn't work out. And yeah, it's fine. Yeah. He has a he has a wonderful new wife and two new children. Mm-hmm. Not new; they're older now. But it's great because he wanted kids, and I didn't want kids, and that's kind uh-huh. of the reason that we mm-hmm. split mm-hmm. ways. Um, but what I've noticed with people who are in married relationships that they say, "Well, I didn't. I'm not cheating, but I do have this guy I talk about. I talk online with, and everything." And they have these new like internet relationships which are not sexually based because they're not together in the same room but they're emotionally charged in a way that I would still say that's sin yeah not that I'm ju- not that it's my place to judge let he throw the first stone etc but like sometimes I feel like the yearning for connection if you're in a marriage if you're in a com- or in a committed relationship and you're yearning for connection outside of that connection that by doing that, it's still a violation. Yeah, it's like, I feel like either tend to the relationship, figure out what's wrong and figure out what's going on, or if it's really not working, say, this is not working, and off you go, and then you find, you know, what you're looking for. It's, right. um, people have called that an emotional affair. Sure. And just, um, but it, the, the problem is, is it takes that energy out of the relationship. Right, and it and puts it Which it is to not this... fair to the other person, yeah, I think. I agree. Uh, it's be- not that I'm choosing, not that I'm saying what's a sin and what isn't. So you're a priest, though. Is that your job to, to decide what's sin and what isn't? Do, pe- <laughs> do, Boy, I sure do people not. come to you? <laughs> do, do people come to you and ask, like, was that a sin? Yeah, did I, yeah, yeah. Did, was that wrong? And yeah. then you say, well, and then I usually, what do you think? Well, uh, yeah, I, I kind of, I, I kind of do. Um, I want to learn um, 
more about how they feel about it. Like, mm. you know, how did that sit with your integrity? You know, I don't usually phrase it quite that way, but, um, you know, it, it really depends on the person and what, I mean, some things I'm just like, no, dude, you know, <laughs> you're doing what you need to do to get through the night kind of thing. Uh, um, but sometimes so people ask like, you about drug use, like say, drug use or this, I yeah. shoplifted and I'm like, well, you know, that can really get you into trouble or this could have some health impacts. Um, but I don't think God is judging people for that. Yeah, I don't know. Is I mean, you know, is or God's... I cut again, you know, and I feel a lot of shame about cutting again. Sure. Like, you've got this pain and you're doing what you know to do to deal with that pain. Right. Now, if that's not working for you, we can talk about some other things you could try. Right. That are, but that I'm are not going to sit that, there yeah. and say, you can't do that. Um, Right. She's um, she's gone now, but we had a regular for a long time, and she gave me permission to tell her stories. Um, that cut a lot, yeah, a lot, a lot, and she felt all this shame around it. Sure. And she'd been to therapist and all kinds of things through so her whole life, and never was able to stop cutting. And what I did, and, and Lyle, uh, my predecessor, both did with her, was say, "Okay, cut. You need to cut, cut." Do you have band aids around? Would you yeah, get like safety I protocol? Keep, I used to keep gauze in my car just sure. for her, and then yeah, uh, we'd talk about. She always needed stitches, so but we unless she, one time she got an artery, and I didn't give her oh. a choice. But usually I, we would like negotiate going to the hospital and getting the stitches. The, that one time I'm just like, nope, either that or I'm calling an ambulance. Yeah, no negotiation. Yeah. Um, but um, but she went from cutting every two or three days to cutting like every six months. Well, that's and good. I think a lot of it was us just saying, yeah. You're doing what you need to do. You're doing what's worked for you. And I get that you don't want to do it. So let's, you know, think about some options and some other things that might help. Right. But when you have this urge to do whatever you're doing to get rid of your pain and you squash that urge, it just rebounds worse. Right. So for God or us or whoever to say, okay, do that thing. Actually, kind of, it's like taking the lid off the pressure cooker and it can kind of dissipate. It's huh. actually more kind of a Buddhist stream. It's more out of the Buddhist side of my mouth, right. <laughs> part of my practice. Um, to just go, yeah, okay, there's that thing. Let's look at that thing. But we don't have to judge that thing. Right. Um, and um, that's when I get there, um, you know, that's not sort of historical Christian way of dealing exactly. with it. Uh, but, I, but I have this Buddhist side of my practice too. So I, I draw on that a lot. Well, Christianity the, though has so much judgmental. Okay. I'm paraphrasing from my experience okay. with, with Christianity and with specifically Presbyterianism. There was so much judgment and so much, this is how you act and this is what you do. And this is, and just so much external judgment from everyone, from my parents, from Jesus, from God, from the pastor, from the congregation, from the way I was dressed to what I said to everything. I just constantly felt so much judgment. So to be able to say, my relationship with God doesn't have to do with judgment. For me, is like cognitive dissonance. I'm like, mm. how crazy is it that you're a woman of the cloth and you're telling me that you're not judgmental? For me, that's like blowing my mind. I'll sit next to you while you shoot up and we'll keep talking. That's, it's, that's just for me, and I hate to use the term crazy because it's pejorative, but it's like, it's cognitive dissonance because every person that I've been involved with, with religion for so many years it's been surrounded with this idea of judgment and that's so sad yeah because i think you know god gets angry plenty in the bible right so we have evidence that god does that but 
what we see God doing all the time is going like, okay, I was really mad, but now I've changed your mind and changed my mind and let's talk again. Right. You know, that's what you see God doing over and over again. And Jesus too, right? Yeah. It's mad and like, you know, tells Peter, get me behind me. But then he's like, okay, but let's talk. Right. You know, there's not this, I'm going to judge you forever because you wore the wrong thing or you whatever, you know, or you're a prostitute or you're, right. you know, a tax collector, which were not nice people in his time. Right. Uh, you know, really, um, they were like um, kind of the robber barons of today. Sure. You know, take, you know, lepers. He hung out with people with leprosy. leprosy. Yeah. But like everybody, everybody was shunning. That's who Jesus hung out with. Yeah. I mean, I can say to my congregation to open cathedral every week, y'all are the, I keep hitting your microphone. <laughs> y'all are the people who Jesus would have been hanging out with. Right. He wouldn't have been over there in city hall, maybe to turn a table over, but he would have been sitting out here on the street with us for right. outside worship. Cause that's what he did, right? He like sits down in a field and talks or up in the mountain and he talks or by the sea and he talks. Right. And he's feeds constantly people. outside feeding people, preaching to people, healing people, right. teaching people. He does it again and again and again, but it, almost all of it is outside. Right. Wow. Wow. You know, he does, he, he's in the house sometimes. There's there's plenty of those scenes too. But oh, well, there's the one about, where they take the roof off, remember, to let the, the guy off. down yeah, to, to they have can't him healed. Get in. Like, wow, I, can, I always think those are some good friends that are right? going to like, somehow get you up on the roof of this probably fairly rickety little house, pull all the reeds or whatever aside. And and then I'm thinking of the guy on the pallet. I'm like, that sounds really scary. Exactly. To me. Just the face to go like swinging down and like, you know, but Jesus can look at that and go, wow, there's some faith there. Yeah. It's going to make you well. Right. And he always, almost always puts the power with the person. Your faith has made you well. Not I'm making you well or God's making you well. He is, your faith has made you well. Yeah. Go and sin no more, right? Yeah. Stay in relationship with sure. people. But you have this power. You have this strength in you. He's always building people up. Yeah. He's not generally, you know, with a few exceptions, he's not tearing people down. He's not going except around the Pharisees. pointing. Except the Pharisees. Yeah, but they were pretty but bad. But they're guys. like up in his face, they right? Were, yeah, he doesn't absolutely. go up to them and start lecturing. They no. get in his face and he defends himself. Yeah, they're like, we're going to trick you. Ha, 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 Yeah, and he's like, ha, ha, smarter than you. Yeah. I got God, you know. But he doesn't walk around shaking his finger at somebody going, you know, like your sandals aren't done up right and right. Your, your tunic's too short. You'll never be good enough. And you'll never be good. That's not how Jesus acts. Right. So why does the church act that way? Exactly. Exactly. It just breaks my heart because we miss out on this opportunity. If you're busy doing all of that, you're m missing the opportunity to tell people how much God loves them right. and cares about them and wants the best for them. And when people start to internalize that, they start to treat each other better. It's, you know, it's hard because there's still, there's so much corruption in the church. So the reason I moved away from, I used to be very zealotrous in the church and mm -hmm. I was very into service and I was very, very, I mean, even as a child, I was sort of, I, I went to a wake once and they, I was at a, it was in the city and it was at one of my aunts was a nun or something. And they said, oh, are you going to be a good little nun when you grow up? And I was like, no, I'm not going to be mm. a nun. But I had thought about like service in the church and I was interested in that kind of stuff until our pastor, this big, big pastor that we got, and we had like a mega church where it was like big multiple services and you went to your service and everyone matched clothing. It was in a very rich part of town. It was in Danville, <laughs> very wealthy people. Mm -hmm. And we got this guy, he'd written three books. Oh, Ron Lee Davis, Ron Lee Davis. 
And so he was the pastor of our church and he'd stand up there and everyone was like, Oh, he's such a great pastor. And we'd listen to him every week and really like internalize what he was saying. And he was like this big special guy. And then I found out that he'd been sleeping with like all these women. He'd been counseling Mm. them Mm -hmm. and he'd been saying that the only way to regain forgiveness or to have their relationship was to have sex with him. And so Uh. he was having sex with all these women. And so he used the power of God to manipulate people. And so then I was like, there are predators everywhere. There's like, is this real? Is this, and it completely shattered my, it didn't shatter my sense of, communion with a higher power in that I feel that I can have a relationship without the construct of religion, Mm -hmm. but it made my whole life and surrounding about anything about religion. Just like be like, no, that is none of that is me. Cause I had put so much, I was a child and so much of my worldview was based off this person that then all of a sudden was a terrible person. And I was like, how? I just never understood. Like it was one of those things where people really can lie. Like, yeah. And you can get away with it. Yeah. Like it does. I mean, and, and across the, the board faith, I mean, in every faith tradition, unfortunately, and everywhere, every boardroom, every school, every, everywhere, there are people like that. And it's so sad. If you want to talk about sin, okay, ruptured relationship with those women probably damaged their perception of their relationship with God and or the church and their husbands and their husbands and everybody in the congregation is now like, Oh, so if that's not true, is any of the rest of it true? Well, he would stand up there and talk about his three kids and his wife and how men, how much he mm. loved them all. And we all believed it hook, line and sinker. And then this stuff comes out and it was just like, is anything real? Is anything I've ever believed real? Because, you know, I'm a 17, 18 year old, mm-hmm. impressionable young mm-hmm. lady. Mm-hmm. And when my whole worldview has been like, I was super zealotrous for Jesus, like Christian school, the whole deal. And to have that sort of like stripped away, it was like, none of this has really painful. Yeah. Really painful. And it happens again and again and again. And he maybe did really love his wife and kids and had no self-control around his sexuality or whatever. You know, we don't know what's going on with him internally, but that sort of behavior causes so much damage or you make off with the church treasury or, you know, uh, you know, and that's not so much a religious thing. That's a human thing. Right. People do it, but it's so tragic to me when it happens in a faith community because it does rupture people's connection with the community. And so oftentimes I'm glad it didn't for you, but oftentimes their sense of relationship with the divine or Buddha or whoever, right. um, they, um, it ruptures those relationships, which is so it's, it's a terrible thing to steal from people because people need, I think human beings, this is why we keep creating religion. I think we need this sense of connection yeah. With the divine or with the spirit of the universe or whatever, however you conceptualize it, people need that. And when you break that for people, it's just so painful. I mean, I hear a lot of agonizing stories, you know, really terrible things that have happened to people. But some of the deepest pain is like, you know, there's this really horrible pain that my father did this to me. 
But on top of that, there's this pain of why did God let it happen? Uh huh. And sometimes that's the sharper, deeper, bigger pain. Like, okay, dad's human, you know, and maybe, but why does God let that happen? Well, and it's the same thing with priests and with the Catholic church and with priests and all that Mm -hmm. cover up and all that crazy, Mm -hmm. crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure wearing the collar, people will be like, what is, because now there's this strange stigma around it. But that, that, I mean, that happens in, has happened and happened it's difficult for people. And then it wasn't recognized. Yeah. And, and so then, then it was the, covered up, was covered up. Like, so then you have like injury and pain and it then them not acknowledging people. it, which makes it even worse. Right. And then it severs you from your relationship. Cause it's like, Oh, religion is bad and dangerous and predators. Right. And, right. and then yeah. you don't have that needed part of your humanity. Right. People need that. Sure. And, and for some people it totally works to have that sense of connection on their own. But a lot of people, kind of really need to have it in community. Sure. And so when that is broken, you're really harming the, you know, you're, you're that's, that's serious then because you're really harming people's lives. How do you think that the Catholic church can go about making reparations for those kind of ruptured relationships? Or is it too late? It, it, should we just like, just get rid of certain denominations and be like, you know what? Those ones messed up. Let's just go with this stuff now. Or <laughs> yeah. Like, well, do you- I, I don't think we're going to, convince the pope to like disband this Catholic right church. yeah but i do think they need to do some serious soul searching and they need to do some real action they've i just saw in the paper the other day that uh they have like all these commissions sort of um looking into clergy abuse and that they're not really doing that much right and that they're still you know for years they would lay like oh the sky raped a kid let's shuffle him off to another parish right you know like there needs to be some serious amends for that you know um i think everything from free counseling for the victims Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely um defrocking anybody all the priests who perpetrated it but anybody who covered it up too because you can't trust those people with the well-being of the church either if they're going to cover for their buddy because, Hey, he's a great guy and whatever, you know, and and maybe he is doing 20 other great things, but you can't cover that, you know? So I think all those people need to be defrocked as well. Do you think though that that uh, that comes out of the, cause you're not Catholic. So, I mean, nuns aren't allowed to have sex. Priests aren't allowed to have sex. Do you think that it's about that cutting that humanity, human part of yourself off and then I, these other sort of things bubble up because of it. I, I, I think maybe for some people that exacerbates it. Some people are truly called to celibacy. I mean, I know people who are. I'm, it's not me, but some people are. And um, if you're called to that, it'll work well. But if you're not called to that and you're trying to impose it on yourself, I don't think it works right. well. And called um, to celibacy. Yeah, some some people are, and it's um, it's not my thing. But you know, I know plenty of people who are. Um, I know some rocking nuns, um, but um, it's not my thing. But um, if you're not called to it and you're trying to impose it on yourself, I think it can be really problematic for people. But I also know that there are plenty of predators in all kinds of faith streams that allow. Um, clergy to marry or have partners or sure. all of that. Um, some people don't see other people as people. Some oh. people see other people as um, means to gratification. Right. And 
people who look at the world that way are going to hurt other people. Right. Rather, either they're, I'm going to extract a lot of money out of you that I have no right to, or I'm going to extract something sexually from you that I have no right to, or I'm going to beat you up as a way to get rid of my anger because you're not really a person. Right. You know, it's, I feel like, and this comes back to the judgment thing. If we could stop judging and start saying, look at how beautiful and holy every single person is, then it's harder to objectify people like that. If culturally, if the whole culture is going like, oh my gosh, gorgeous human being. Oh my gosh, gorgeous human being. Oh my gosh, gorgeous human being. Then it gets a little harder to look at somebody just as an object of desire gratification. Right. Um, And that's another way that judgment becomes a sin, I think, because it gets in the way of us seeing how amazing and holy and beautiful every single person is. And if you're in that judging place, there's some objectification with that too. Sure. And so it's sort of not that everybody who judges does that kind of misconduct, but I think it creates the culture where it's easier to look at people as things. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's the, how do you, how do you teach children that people are, have their own, like there's a thing that happens, I think in kids' minds, I don't know when maybe they're like, 14, 15, 16, where they recognize like, my parents are actual people, right? Like they're, they're not here specifically for my well being. They're their own person and they have wants and needs that are, I have wants and needs. They have wants and needs. Wow. Like there's like a little brain thing, that explosion that happens sort of when kids become junior hires where not everything around me is just for me. Right, right, right. And, and, but even bigger than that is to recognize that every single person that we see everywhere is a person that has wants and needs and feelings. And a whole backstory. And a whole back, yeah. And, and yeah. That's, and that's it's like, whoa. Yeah. But I think it's how we're meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, just looking through a Christian lens, you know, Jesus is looking at every person, right? He's not going, oh, homeless, I'm dismissing you. Right. Oh, leprosy, I'm dismissing you. Prostitute, I'm dismissing you. He's looking at every single person and seeing their beauty. Tax yeah. collector, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm, he sees his beauty. Um, I think, you know, that's kind of ha- how we're supposed to be. Right. And, and we don't, um, unfortunately. Unfortunately, um, and it's really, really sad because we could be better. Well, then, it, why, why the Tower of Babel? So everyone, sp- I mean, I, I get it. We're allegorically in the old in the Hebrew right, Testament right, right, again. Right, right, we're right. At, we're back in allegorical <laughs> times, and I get it. Pangea was a thing, and they were probably trying to explain how the moving of peoples from around, like how long's a god year? Who knows? Have people been around two hundred million years? Sure, because God made the world in seven days. But what's a god day? Who knows? Right, right. It could right. be millions of years. But that the Tower of Babel, that we were all trying to work together and spoke the same language, trying to build something. And God went, nah, nah, you don't get to build things together and then split all us up. Why take away the togetherness? Um. So I don't actually believe God did that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, think okay. it, I think it is allegoric. I think it's, it's an origin story, right? It's yeah. people looking at the world going, why do we speak all these different languages? And why do you know? And of course, organically that grows up 
as we evolve and you have all these different populations, they're all going to figure out their own languages and all that. But people at the time are looking around going, why? Right. And we can't figure out why. Um, so this is our story to tell us why. Just, I mean, the Garden of Eden is also this, this origin story. Why do people die? Oh, God gives you this choice. Be, um, don't, be live forever or you can have kids, but you're going to die. It's, you know, uh, one of my um, professors, oh, and I'm going to blank on his name and it's killing me because I want to give him credit for this. Uh, Rabbi Michael Oblath talked about um, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Mm -hmm. He said that word that they translate as good and evil, everywhere else, it's a word for sexuality. It's not the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's a tree of knowledge of sex. <gasps> and so picture Adam and Eve running around as like 11-year-olds, like these prepubescent kids. Yeah. And they eat, and then they mature, and now they're going to have kids, so then you got to die. And if you look at origin stories around the globe, there's this choice always. Are you going to be a rock or a banana tree? Uh, okay, a rock lasts forever, more or less. But a banana tree grows up in fruits and then it falls over and dies, right? Sure. Um, so people around the world have asked these questions. And the Garden of Eden is, is the answer they came up with in the, in the ancient Near East in that time of, oh, we had this choice. Well, because God made them. And right. so for us as people to make people, that makes us sort of God. And so that was, I get, I get what you're saying now is that like, if they wanted to live, if people wanted to live in the garden of Eden forever, it would have been cool. Cause they just would have been all like frolicking. And then God would have had to keep making all the people because that's just, but then once it was like, Oh, we can make people. Ah, yeah. And then that's what sort of sets into life. That yeah, cycle. Really. Or it's of, even just Adam and Eve forever, like by themselves with right. other people. Sure. Right? But, you know, and, and, and it gets really muddy because like suddenly there's these women for their sons to marry. Like where, where did right, they come where, from? Right. Exactly. You know, so it's, it's, it's this, the story gets muddy. They didn't like tie up all their loose ends. They weren't right. like JK Rowling writing this. They didn't it's tie so up their funny. loose ends. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's a little muddy, but, and it's probably a whole bunch of stories that are kind of amalgamated into what we now have in the Bible. But, um, you know, there's this choice and the choice they make is we want to, you know, mature sexually and, and have kids and, but then, okay, you got to die because otherwise the whole planet's going to be overpopulated but like 10 times as fast. That's also how you live forever is by passing on your genetic material. That way you don't actually die because mm -hmm. the memory of you lives on in your children. If it if you do it right, if you if your kids love you, if your kids love <laughs> and you, hopefully, you know they remember they, you more right. if they hate you. I gotta tell that, you, I've had a lot of conversations where like, oh, people are still so mad at their mom and they're eighty now. That's um, absolutely fair. But um, I'm glad my kids like me. I prefer yeah. that kind of relationship. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but, um, I forgot where I was going somewhere oh, we were, with that. We were Adam anyway. and Eve. We were in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, we were. But no, a, a, allegorically, I'm down with some of this stuff so the, in the in yeah, the Old Testament. I mean, but then it, some of it, I'm like, really, why this story? Like, why did who was the guy who, who tied the the fire onto the fox? Was it Samson? He tied the fire onto the fox's tails and he sent him out through the to light the to light the their grain on fire, the bad guys. But it was like, did you have to kill the foxes? foxes? Right, like, right. dude, why, why murder 40 foxes? Why right. did you got to do that? So here's the other thing to remember. <laughs> there, there are folks who look at the Bible and go like literal word of God. Right. 
That's not my belief. My belief is the Bible is people doing their best to understand God. Sure. Um, And I kind of follow uh, Reverend Dr. Penny Nixon, and she says, it's much better to take like the whole general sweep of the Bible and apply it to something specific in your life than to take one little specific thing and try and generalize it to everything. So you look at this document of all these people, I mean, lots and lots of people. It's not just like one guy writing it out, right? It's centuries of people. And, and, and before you even get into the translation issues and all that, sure, or even the copying issues. So it's all these people looking at the world, understanding that there's something more, there's this divine force in the world, trying to understand God, and they're doing their best. And so you look at, like, what do they keep coming up with time after time after time? Oh, God wants us to be good to widows and orphans. God wants us not to kill. God wants us not to lie to each other. God doesn't want us to cheat without consent. Right, right, right. (laughs) I'll I'll throw the without consent in there. You know, people doing their best. And the, the broad sweep of it is justice and love. Right. Oh, you know, Jesus says the whole of the law comes down to love God with all your heart and mind and soul and your neighbor is yourself, right. which to me is, it's not like have warm, fuzzy feelings toward your neighbor. It's like love is this action. So if I have a house, you have to have a house. That's love. Right. My kids are getting a good education. So do yours. You know, that's loving your neighbor. And Jesus is like, the whole thing comes down to that. And he's quoting the Hebrew Bible. So they right. were, you know, hundreds of years before him, they're there. And, and you get it in different versions of that and different versions of the golden rule and just about every faith, major faith stream. Absolutely. People, as they try to understand the divine, we've got some consensus. We don't live by it, but we've got some consensus. And then you also get all these other things in there of like, why do we all speak different languages and why the heck are we fighting each other? I mean, like right. Tower of Babel is almost like that century's version of why can't we all just get along? Sure, right? sure, sure. You know, and that's the answer they come up with. Um, but then you go circle around to Pentecost and suddenly everybody is understanding the good news in their own language, right? Right. It comes around, it gets redeemed. The, the, the writer of Acts is going, we could be better. Yes, this is the way it is, but this is not the way it has to be. Acts That's is, how Pentecostals aren't there the ones that they have to speak in tongues that they believe that that the only way to truly be born again is once the Holy Spirit comes in you and the way that you express that Holy Spirit is through speaking in tongues. Is yeah, that true? That's uh, of some Pentecostals. Okay, yes. um, but I'm not talking about Pentecostalism as a okay. faith. Yeah, I'm talking about Pentecost, the story in the Bible. Okay. Where the disciples, um, they're in the upper room and the Holy Spirit comes and it says it's like tongues of fire, which to me sounds terrifying, like right. something, but they handle it. They like roll with it. They're very chill at this point. And uh, they go out and they start telling the story of Jesus. And, and it's a festival time. And so there's people in Jerusalem from all over the place, basically the whole known world at the time. And every single person is understanding it in their own language. Wow. Even though, um, you know, they're probably, the disciples are probably speaking Koine, maybe they're, maybe they're speaking Hebrew, but more likely they're speaking Koine Greek. And everybody's understanding it in their own language. And it's so trippy. The interpretation they come up with is, oh, those guys are drunk. I'm like, they're drunk? <laughs> what? How do you understand what's going on? How do you get there on? because yeah. you're hearing it in your own language? And they're right. like, no, 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 we're not drunk. This is for real. This is God. And I feel like it's the, 
the mirror of the Babel story. The Babel story is looking at the world going, oh, this is the way it is. Why? Pentecost is looking at the world and going, yeah, that's the way it is, but look how much better it could be. <gasps> and a lot of, of the Bible, there are these, I shouldn't say a lot, but like my, a lot of my favorite parts are looking at, yeah, this is the way it is, but it didn't have to be this way. So many of the stories in the gospel that people read as Jesus like condemning people they are misread and often I think they're not like predictions of you're going to get out and you're going to get in. It's lament that the world is already that way uh, and that it could be better. Sure. Um, there's this, uh, he tells this parable of a fig tree and, and that it's dying and the landowner says to the gardener, cut it down. And the gardener says, mm, give me a minute. Let me fertilize it. Let me dig around it. Let me give this tree some care and see if we can't get it to fruit. And people look at that story and they think God is the landowner going, you're not good enough, cut you down. I think God is the gardener. Uh The world is a landowner going, you're not worthy. You're too poor. You're not pretty enough. You're not whatever. And there's Jesus going, "Hmm, let me give this person some care. I can work with this. I can work with this. And oh, there's so many like that that if you don't read them with this lens of judgment that we all, you know, we all come by it naturally. I don't want to like blame people for doing that because everybody's like grown up with it. So it's hard not to read through that lens. Right. But if you kind of take those glasses off and you put on some glasses of, of love, you know, which is where God seems to be coming from, you can read a lot of those stories in a whole different way. Yeah. And, and go, God is the oh, gardener. God, he's, he's, the, not the he's, he's not the landowner. He's not the landowner. He's the gardener. Yeah. And he's going, you know, let's, can we fix this? Yeah. I love the prodigal son one because he comes right. back and the dad is like, have the biggest party, do the biggest thing. Right. And the brother's like, what? I've been here. I've been faith. He's like, but yeah, he's back. Just, it's such a, I love that yeah, story I mean, that I God kinda, is I feel constantly for the brother. Freaking, I actually got a feel for yeah. the brother in that one. I get where the he's brother's like, coming from. I have the discipline. From. And I, yeah. And it's like, and, and God is like, yeah, and I love you for it. Right. But I also love this person who went and completely messed up, yeah. but they're coming back. Fair so let's try this again. Fair isn't equal. Fair is what everybody needs. That's what we used to say when I was I like teaching. That. I was teaching I like school. That. And because kids would go, that's not fair. Because I taught special ed and I had to give some kids more attention than others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'd say, that's not fair. That's not fair. And I'm like, fair is not equal. Fair is what everybody needs. And if this I person like needs that. a little more, that's fine. That's great. Yeah. And we should provide that for that person if they need a little more. Because when you right. need a little more, we're going to be here to help you out. Thank you. Like, can we like now make you president, please? Because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we don't do that as a society. Yeah. We say, everybody... This is what you get. Now, of course, some people are starting off with a lot more, right? right? Because of their gender, because of their ethnicity, because of their financial situation. And somebody who's starting off without all that, if they don't um, use their talents well in the same way, they get blamed for it. Right. Like, what the heck? Yeah. That is not fair. Yeah, and it's just, if we could actually support people's needs see that's the other thing is that so much of especially you deal with people and unpredictable behavior at night and in the street well their behavior is unpredictable because their needs aren't being met right and if no one's meeting their needs constantly 
I'd be frustrated too. I'd be yeah, angry I, and frustrated and confused. And how do you get your needs met? And if someone has, and that's the other thing is if we start meeting people's needs, are people's needs really that much? Is it really it, that no, hard to meet people's can needs? People so grateful like, just to get a blanket. I'm like, if yeah. I were sitting where you are, I would be mad that you're not taking me home. But this right. person is like, thank you for the blanket. You know, um, and just some of my worst encounters is where I assume I know what the person needs and I try and give them that. I've fallen into that trap. Mm. Um, and some of the best ones are where I don't do that. And I say, what do you need? Yeah. And the person will tell you. And if I can do it, I'll do it. And if I can't, I can't. But Jesus does that all the time. Yeah. People come to him and he says, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? He's always asking people, what do you want? What if someone on the street and you said, what do you want? And they said, I want a bottle of wine. Would you buy him a bottle of wine? Usually not. Yeah, no. I wouldn't think we so. We don't. Um, and not... It's more it's a about, liability. It's more about not... Well, it's not even that. It's more about we don't do money because that gets really complicated. Right. You yeah. look like you're playing favorites and all of that. Um, so that's more my reason why. Yeah. Um, I used to... I, sometimes I have matches in my pocket. Really debated early on about am I going to carry cigarettes? Because I get asked for cigarettes all the time. Sure. Um, and I decided not to. Um <laughs> Partially just because it's really expensive. Right. Well, and I mean, the body is a temple. Yeah. But they're going to smoke, but they're just going to pick a butt up off the ground. That's true, too. Three butts off the ground and roll them in their paper, you know. So it's not, it's not, and we kind of talked about this last week. If I'm trying to change somebody's behavior, I'm probably not in good relationship with them. Mm. You know, I'm just another person who has an agenda for them and we're not going to be able to really talk. Um, That said, they're, there's a limit to what I can do right. not being Jesus. I have a limit to what I can do. So I can, if what somebody needs is to have somebody really deeply listen to them, if they need some good pastoral care, if they need blankets, socks, rosary, Narcan, I can help with that. Right. Um, if they need some resources, I can help with that. If they want to make a phone call to somebody, I'll pull out my phone and we'll make a phone call. I'll block my number. Yeah. Um, we'll make a phone call. Smart. Um, you know, and... I don't do this much, so I probably shouldn't even say it, but like we have a regular and just recently got, uh, he was in the hospital and he got discharged. So like, you know, he's got this head wound, it's healing. He's, but he's outside. Yeah. Who does he call? He calls us. Of course. I can go, I happen to have a tent, so I could, I could go pick him up, set him up with a tent, set him up with a blanket. He had a massive head wound. Get him some, yeah, you know, he's got staples in his scalp. Yeah. He he gave me permission to share his story too. Yeah. And he was, it was actually really powerful because he, the guys who hit him, he said, um, he turned around after they hit him and they said, oh no, wrong guy. And they like <gasps> ran away. Oh, and that's devastating. Well, no, yeah. it's devastating for anyone to be attacked anyways. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. horrible he and unsafe feelings. He decided not to press charges. He said, they didn't mean to get me. It wasn't personal. They made a mistake. <laughs> I'm like, I would totally be pressing charges. I would be pressing charges, yeah, um, if so it was it's really, you know, it had this inspiring side to the story and he actually got a lot of good help um, at the hospital. So in a way, it, it worked for him. But, um, you know, I, so yeah, if I can help you in that way, if I happen, I just happen to be really lucky that I had a tent, um, I try and always have blankets, you know, and sometimes we do and sometimes we don't, but I yeah. could at least set him up in a way that he can keep his head wound clean and dry sure, until sure. he can go over to Tom Waddell the next day. Yeah. You know, so I'll do those kind of things and we'll do those kind of things. Not always, but rarely. Um, but if you need a hotel for the night, 
you know, and once once upon a time we had a grant, we were able to do a little oh. bit of that. We don't. Hey Zuckerberg, right give yeah. them a grant. Sometimes we some can rich person yeah. Google. Hey Google, give Night Ministries a grant. <laughs> that would be Let amazing. Us put people in a hotel. Yeah, yeah. it's um. To have a shower and a clean place to sleep and yeah, feel just, like a person. And be and, able to sleep and not have right. to keep one eye open, to lock a door behind yeah. you. I, one person I knew was even before I was doing night ministry, but he lived outside and then he got a hotel and he said just to be able to lock that door. You know, it's like, it's a, a safety issue. Yeah. I mean, it would be interesting if it was possible to do an exchange program thing where you took people that lived in San Francisco and you safely helped them not even sleep on the street for a night but maybe just maybe just do with you from 10 at night till four in the morning and hang out and see what what the struggles are because right. well i don't I'm, think people really truly know in this city what the struggles of the questionably housed are yeah i'm i'm happy to have guests along i do sort of limit it because I don't want our folks to feel like they're a tourist attraction. Right, exactly. But oh I, my God, it's like an Airbnb I experience. Along. <laughs> another, another good way, and it does include sleeping on the streets, if you do the longer one, is the Faithful Fools do a street retreat. Oh. Uh, they do a day long several times a year and they do at least one week long. And they, uh, when I first heard about it, I thought, ooh, tourism, you know, I really, I kind of had a lot of judgment around it, but when I actually did one and I saw how they did it, I just did a, a, a day long, but um, so respectful yeah. and starting with this meditation of, you know, what keeps us together, what separates us, you know, and you can make this choice to like leave your keys and your cell phone and all your things that kind of help keep you safe with them while you go do it. Um, wow. I did. It was, I'm so used to taking out my cell phone and taking pictures of murals and things and I kept sure. like reaching in my pocket and there was no cell Nothing phone. There. But the faithful fools uh, over on Hyde Street actually do a very good job yes. of Helping people, retreat. helping people kind of, it's, it's different because you know, you're going back inside, right? right, right. So you're not going to have the experience of living outside, but to kind of open the door to idea, empathy, open the door to, I like that to yeah. open the door to empathy, um, and, and kind of have a chance to deeply notice what keeps you apart from people and what connects you to people. Yeah. The faithful fools do that so well. Yeah. After you're done donating to us, go donate to them too. Cause they're awesome. <laughs> and, and you can, um, you can join tomorrow, the vigil at the UN Plaza at six o'clock for the 263 people that died this year. Yeah. Um, living questionably housed, um, on the street and that's so devastating that that's a huge number of people like dying outside and and we could in the richest city in the in the in the united states i think that we could easily tackle this this problem yeah yeah oh yeah it's not hard it's just there's no political will it's not complicated to just you know there's it's complicated because of bureaucracy, but it's not in reality complicated. Right. right. Tiny homes. Do you know about this? Oh yeah. The yeah. St. Francis project. Uh, yes. and Amy Farrell. Yeah. Weiss. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's I'm amazing. Really, um, I'm really uh, glad she's doing that. And uh, we've, we've actually spoken a few times and I'm, I'm very much in support of that project. Yeah. And, the tiny homes, giving people a locked door, a safe place to put their stuff, yeah. a safe place to sleep and stewardship over the community so that they feel like they belong and they feel like they're helping other people. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's a great project. And you know, like dr- pass this fee on empty buildings and drive the armed traffickers and the human traffickers out of town and then the yes. rents go down and then we have fewer people living outside and you've got some empty buildings that you can now put people in yeah. you know it just um 
there's lots of not complicated things to do. Uh, it starts with compassion, though, because yeah. right now we continually distance ourselves from people. And the way I think to heal that is with compassion for our fellow right, man. Right. To get away from that judging thing so that you can actually see the beauty of every single person. Yeah. I, mean, it's, I actually, I feel kind of sorry for housed people who like just walk by and never say hello. It's so hard on the people who live outside. But the housed people are missing out on some really cool people. Sure. We have some kind of awesome people living outside yeah. in the city. And everyone has a story. Everyone has Nobody a story. Nobody was like, you know what? I'm not going to live in a house anymore. Right. Yeah. I'm or if they live, did and they tried house. it for a week, they were like, like no, well, I don't think it was as harder than I thought. Yeah. Um, and just amazing stories, amazing generosity. I mean, I've seen mm. people share their very last cigarette at the end of the month where you know they're not getting another one. Right. Uh, he's, you know, in the middle of a sweep and everybody's stressing out and like, oh, can I have a drag on your cigarette? It's my last cigarette. Okay, here's a drag. Oh, can I have a drag too? It's my last cigarette. I already shared. Okay, here's <laughs> okay. a drag, you know, and it's, uh, and it, that's inspiring to yeah. me. You know, here's this thing that's helping you get through this stressful situation. You're not getting any more, but you're sharing it with everybody around you. Yeah. I mean, and people miss out on that because they won't look. What are you doing for Christmas? I will be at uh, Christmas Eve. I'm going to spend with family, but I will be at Tenderloin Tessie's up at the UU on uh, Franklin and O'Farrell. All right. They do an awesome meal from one to four for anybody who comes. Gorgeous sit down meal, live music served at your table. Cool. Very cool. They do it for Thanksgiving, um, Christmas and Easter and they do a great job. Um, And then I will uh, work that night. You're working on Christmas night. I am. Wow, we we've we haven't missed a night in fifty five years. That's so we're amazing. always on for the holidays too. Nightministry.org. Give them all your yeah. money. SFNightMinistry.org. SFNightMinistry.org. Valerie, thank you so much. This has been awesome. This is so cool. I really, really had such a good time. I have had such a good time talking <laughs> to you about all these things because I'm just I'm super interested that in everything you're doing, you're like saving your not a one woman crusade, but. <laughs> You're pretty much oh, saving a lot the of support. There's Tons a, yeah, there's of a support. lot of support. So SF Night Ministry, uh, donate some money. Thanks so much for listening and being here on Some Call Me Tim. Have a beautiful Christmas season and a wonderful New Year. And I hope to have you back on the show. And yeah. um, we'll see if we can, I don't know, throw together some kind of, you know, GoFundMe slash thing and that see would if be we awesome. Can. That yeah, would be awesome. Because um, the homelessness is a is an issue that I take to heart because I see it. I live in the Tenderloin. I constantly see it. And you know, anything we can do to help at Mutiny Radio. So thank you so much for being here. Yay. Thank you for having me. (laughs) This has been Some Call Me Tim. We'll be back. It's going to be two weeks off because next week is Christmas. The following week, I'll be playing probably one of these two episodes, uh, replaying them because I'm babysitting kids on New Year's Day. That's going to be fun. But then I'll be back <laughs> the week after that, and uh, and we'll have more conversations about what people believe in on Some Call Me Tim. Awesome. Yay. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, everybody. You Thank like- you. <laughs> Trippy music.
and you're tuned in to MutinyRadio.fm. It's Wednesday, and you know what time it is. It's time to talk about things we believe in or don't believe in, and religion, and God, and cats, all here on Some Call Me Tim. Today on Some Call Me Tim, I am honored, I am blessed, I am excited, I have a real priest with me here. I am therefore going to watch my language because we have <laughs> priest Valerie on today. Hi. Hello. It is such a pleasure to have you here. I met you under not the best of circumstances. Comedians are not necessarily kind and loving individuals. And I was outside on a Sunday night of the milk bar on hate street and there were some comedians and they were kind of giving you a bad time and i was like yeah a little you bit. guys come on <laughs> it's okay it's fine comedians have no soul and it's been proven because <laughs> oh dear. they have no respect anyway. <laughs> no respect for in the middle of the i mean it's i mean you're you're working hate street from what 10 p.m until 4, 4 a.m and that's your job and tell tell our listening audience today what you do out on hate street uh, so i'm um, valerie mcintyre i'm with san francisco night ministry and uh, we're actually in all the busy neighborhoods so hate castro tenderloin south of market mission uh, sometimes north beach once in a while out in the barcadero and uh, we walk uh, from 10 p.m until 4 a.m and talk to whoever wants to talk to us but but the the hate is your beat uh it's one of them i, I do oh so you do all. more than oh yeah yeah oh wow so which is your favorite and why Ooh. which part of town are you like from 10 till 4 in the morning this is this is my jam yeah i try to kind of hit the same neighborhoods on the same night so i'm a little bit predictable for our folks right so um gosh they all have their own flavor it's hard to pick a favorite um i would say tenderloin is busiest tenderloin is and, busiest uh, most talkative busiest or like just most people most most people and most conversations because there's more people i think sure sure um it's um it, if i have guests along i tend to take them to the tenderloin because they'll see more conversations right uh hate is great if you kind of need a quiet night because it's a little quieter neighborhood it didn't used to be that way right it used to be a bunch of gutter punks out there with their dogs yeah, and, yeah. there used to be a lot of kids there used to be some kind of musical instrument like at least every other block and and sometimes a lot more like right didgeridoo guitar made out of a grandfather clock wow. somebody's kind of drums and like just like every block there was something it was so cool and i actually kind of i kind of miss those so days. you feel like the the hippie vibe has left the hate uh, yeah it's 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 muted at least it's pretty muted how um, long have you been doing this outreach uh, uh, i've been doing it 11 years wow and wow so you are in a unique position to talk about how san francisco has changed in the past 11 years because right. you've been actually on the street at night for 11 years talking to people yeah about now you're a priest do you do you jump right into jesus or do you is that not your game um that's not my game okay. um I'm, I'm happy to do jesus if people want to do jesus and and people will ask for that or just want to talk religion or tell me why they don't believe in god or you know they see the caller and they um people will go right to religion but if they just want to talk about what happened that day, you know, where they're, what's going on with their kids, what's going on with their mom, uh, what their friend did, or, you know, or warn me, like, oh, watch out, there's bad acid on the street tonight. Wow. <laughs> like, those are people shaking hands, you know. Um, so all kinds of things, just every topic you can imagine. Sure. So I don't lead with religion, but if people go there, then I, I'm very happy to go there with them. And what kind of 
you're not a nun, you're not a nun you're a priest so what kind nun. of training did you have uh, were you in seminary yeah, school I, I have a master's of divinity wow then i did a year of postgrad to train as a chaplain um and um i actually kind of did that concurrent with with doing night ministry of I've done all these different things. Night ministry is its own thing, right? Night it's like it's, it's is it like thing. a it's its own five hundred one c three. We've oh. been around for fifty five years. We started wow. in nineteen sixty four, and I'm the fifth person to kind of be in charge of it. But we have other night ministers who work when I don't work. We usually have a, we always have at least one person on the street. Sometimes we have two or three people that we can kind of cover more neighborhoods. Um, I'd love, if we had the funding, I would like have a minister in every neighborhood every night, but we're not there yet. We've got this little tiny shoestring budget. Right. Um, but we do uh, the nighttime ministry. We have two open air uh, worship services, uh, one at two o'clock at um, Civic Center Plaza. On in the, the morning? At two o'clock in the oh, afternoon. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> night ministry you're like yeah. two in the morning let's all go to civic center right and we, uh, uh, sing yeah. some songs and, yeah. yeah and then uh in the 5 30 in the mission it's at uh 5 30 in the evening in the mission at 16th and mission bart uh, what what day is that and that's on thursday night. oh that makes sense thursday's a big day on the mission you've got yeah. so you have the night ministry Mystery. daytime yeah. and then you have food not bombs right and then later they do the poetry and then thing. they do the poetry thing right so it's a hopping day and down there. Yeah, and, and then we have a Bible study, and we just started. I'm so excited. Uh, on paper, we're interfaith, but it's taken a little while to sort of move into that in practice. But we just started a Buddhist meditation Wow. Uh, at 6 o'clock on Monday nights over at the Faithful Fools. Wow. I know where Faithful Fools is, too. That's on, that's on Hyde Street. Hyde Street, 234 Hyde. In the, oh, 234 Hyde. That's so perfect. Yeah. It's right next door to um, the setup, which is a comedy venue that people Right, uh, right, right. You should partner with those guys and do, like, a fundraiser for Faithful Fools oh. at the setup. They at always the setup. You, we should. You should talk you're to right. the comedians because <laughs> they've got a great venue, and they have always have really great audiences, and you're right there. What called you to work with? these degenerates i'm using that term sort of funny, yeah we kind of get some pejorative terms right, coming right, right, out right. here but, um, that i don't usually use for our folks exactly I'm, yeah, um, I'm, I'm trying to be a little like cheeky, <laughs> yeah you know you gotta be a little edgy here you're but. called i mean i know that jesus himself worked with you know the beggars yeah, he and like walked around outside yeah, and, and worked with like, folks hey. on the margin that was jesus's gig so what's called you to people on the margin um i guess i just always I always kind of felt that tug and I went into seminary thinking I was going to do church ministry. Sure. And the first thing I did after seminary was a sabbatical replacement for somebody and thought, Oh crap, I hate this. Oh no, I've spent all this time and all this money and I don't like being in a church. So you were like the minister of a church and then I, I was you doing stood the, up and did the, all the whole service thing. Uh, well, I was actually the sabbatical replacement I did was for a Christian ed director. I've never led a congregation on my own. Oh. Uh, I did a lot of Christian ed for a lot of years um, as a layperson, but and it was fine and I loved it. But I don't parish work is not my thing. Gotcha. And um, just about the time I was finishing seminary, somebody on my ordination committee also worked with night ministry and said, you know, hey, I think this might be right for you. And so I volunteered at first, and just about the time I was ready to get ordained, a fellowship became available. And so I did that for a couple of years. And once that, by the time that was over, I was like, well, I love this and I'm not leaving, so you have to hire me. Right, <laughs> right. And, um, and I've been there ever since. But I mean, do you, I mean, the first people question people must ask you is, do you feel unsafe? I mean, you're walking around the Tenderloin right. from 10 p.m. 
until 4, 4 in the morning yeah so and and i get that question all the time and the answer is yeah i feel really safe because people have my back the whole neighborhood has my back in any of the neighborhoods. Because of the collar. Because of the collar, because people know me. You know, oh, you, you okay. walk around the neighborhood for a decade, people know you. Right, right. You're and like a steward of the, of the yeah, area. I'm kind of, you know, a little bit of a pastor of the area. And people all the time tell me, anybody bugs you, you let me know. Oh, I'm watching you. I've got your back. I've, I've had very few instances. Actually, the only time I really felt unsafe was up on the Hape. And um, I was with, um, I just started the fellowship, so we walked in pairs because we were kind of students at that point right. and so I and my co-pastor were up there and this guy kind of lost reality contact and started throwing us against the wall Ooh. and I'm like oh crap I'm gonna have to hurt this guy to make him stop and I didn't want to uh, but literally the whole neighborhood from blocks around came running um to our rescue wow and um and made sure we were safe and got back to our car okay and it just um it gave me a lot of faith in people watching out for me and people do I mean it's just the care does not just flow one way. We get a lot of care back from the neighborhood and from the people we serve. Right. Uh, okay. How do you survive being a, a pastor, a, someone, a member of the cloth? Because didn't it, I don't know, I feel like society's changed in how we view people who give their life to service. And do you get housing? Like I know a <laughs> a member a member of my extended family was a uh -huh. pastor for years yeah, yeah. and he was in the house of the church but then when he was no longer the pastor the house went away right right and now they're in an, an apartment and like for their whole lives they lived in this house and but i don't even think pastors get houses anymore most place more it's more common back east out here it's less common and night ministry no we don't have a house we, right. have, we run the whole thing on less less than half a million dollars a year wow we do two worship services a bible study the meditation group we train chaplains we have phone volunteers and we're on the street and we do it so you don't get paid right but then how does that work to serve <laughs> to serve the community of san francisco and to not be monetarily compensated for your service when it gets more and more expensive to live here yeah. and then you see the disparity and you're working with the people who need the help but then that that income disparity gets greater and greater and greater do you live in san francisco proper i don't i can't afford you it you can't see that's exactly I can't what i'm afford saying to live in san francisco. you have to I commute mean, I get, in i get decent money it's not terrible money but you um, have to commute in getting at a church yeah i commute in and you know fortunately my work hours the commute's not so bad right but you have to <laughs> wait for bart to open to get home yeah i i, I own a car oh you have a car so okay I'm, yeah okay. when, when i didn't all right, have a car right. yeah i had to wait for the bus and go home ah! uh, i i had for a while I didn't have a car right now I have a car I'm super blessed with that um it kind of like I need it for this job because like we give out blankets and stuff and it's really hard to put that in your overcoat pocket right right <laughs> so um yeah so blankets blankets food, socks, sandwiches socks are a big yeah. deal after our worship services and the bible study we do food for all of those mostly That's donated great. by local houses of worship and some other community groups um so we don't buy that food ourselves but it comes to us but in, in a city of such wealth you would think that if you already have a ministry in place, that that could be well-funded. And when people say, oh, why is there this problem in San Francisco? There's just people on the streets and there's homeless everywhere. And it's like, there is a program yeah, called yeah. Night Ministry that runs on a $500,000 a year budget, which is insane because you're just talking about all the training and all the, the <laughs> things you do and the people that are walking yeah. around and, and that 
I told that's, my children they're going to inherit my student loans. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the meek will inherit the earth. No, they're going to inherit everybody's student loans. <laughs> right. Gonna... And so it's just, I mean, um, funding is a challenge. It's And we've never, that's not something Night Ministry's ever been good at. I, we've never had an executive director before. We're trying this out. We've got a new guy. He's very shiny. Um, I think he's going to be good at helping us like get our funding up. Sure. And um, I mean, I'd love to have like a second night minister on the street every night and maybe pay our phone volunteers a little bit. I mean, there's all kinds of things we could do with right. money to better serve So there's people. phone volunteers too? Like, would you right. run a suicide hotline yeah, or what do you... have? Um, it's more of a warm line uh, and <laughs> we have volunteers on... It's not a hotline. <laughs> it's a warm it's line. It's a warm line. We do That's crisis calls uh, we don't get that many a decade ago we got more uh, like people who were actively suicidal and, uh, occasional domestic violence transport that kind of thing sure. once in a while we still get that but not very often most of our conversations are pretty low-key um, on the phone I would say the number one problem we hear is loneliness Wow and on the street that's number two second to sleep deprivation well on the street you're there are people around but you can't like let anybody in because yeah. there's such a, it feels like there's such a danger there. Although if I was sitting, gosh, I don't know. I, there's gotta be a place. I, I live in the Tenderloin. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And so I constantly walk by people that are setting up tents or have beds on the ground or yeah. are living in like, and like, and how did that become to be okay? Yeah, how like did that it we just to be walk okay? by and don't go. Oh and go, my gosh, oh, this is a crisis. Absolutely, this person is sleeping here. Like, and, how is this okay? And how are they? I guess do they all have Obama phones now, so that everyone has access to a crisis line, but mo there's no housing. People, That's so weird to me. Yeah, mo most of our folks have Obama phones. Not everybody's able to kind of hang on to them um, for a variety of reasons. I mean, partially DPW comes by all the time and steals everybody's stuff, right? Oh yeah, uh, with the sweeps. Um, so that makes it challenging for people. Um, and I just lost track well, of the question. Well, let me ask you, you about that DPW. So that's a, that's a, you just, are you really like DPW, why can, is there some policy like, change that we could why? enact that, because I've seen it happen. They, DPW comes by and there's a person that has a tent and a bunch of stuff and a cart and the stuff. And they say you have two hours and then we're just taking your stuff. Right. And often less. Yeah. And so then they just. And then they take just take your tent, your sleeping bag. If you're your not there bag. and you're like your friends can't guard your, they, they won't like let your friends say, no, no, he's coming back. So like, there goes your ID. <gasps> there goes maybe your last family memento. There goes your medication. They we just throw guy, everything they away. Walker. They took his walker, Pam. That's insane. It's crazy. Why? And, um, but they, but the, uh. so there's some really good folks working on that. Like, especially the coalition on homelessness is doing some really good work trying to get that stopped. Um, there are a lot of people advocating you know kind of banging on city hall's door going this is not working because what happens is they we were talking about loneliness they destabilize communities yeah community will form if you let it and 10 years ago I would see people self-stabilize not everybody but a few people if you could just leave them alone and they could have a little community and people can watch their stuff and they don't have to schlep it all to go see their case manager to go to St. Anthony's to do all their right things. oh I never even thought about that yeah. so someone sets up their stuff and then they have to go get food right and so you either schlep all your stuff or you leave it and it gets stolen right because you can't lock a tent Right. And right. someone could just pick up a tent and take it. Someone could just steal your house. Steal your house or, or cut it up maliciously. That happens. Oh. We had that happen to one of our regular But then, I mean, homeless on homeless crime, that's kind of mind-blowing. Like yeah, that when happens. everybody else is, when you're already down at the bottom to then like...
right. push well, it even farther. Okay, like, so, oh. But at every level of society, right? Right. Like, There's people bullies. are dealing drugs in Pacific Heights, but it's easier to hide it when you have money. Sure. Everything that happens on the street happens inside. Right. So I'm really hesitant to categorize any problem and say this is what people who live outside do. Right. Because it's just it's harder to hide when you live outside. Sure. And, and how people get to be outside. And There's right. stories behind every single person every who's gotten outside. Every single person. They could have had a house. And with the rent going up here, it's crazy. Right, right, right. You right. got a bad roommate situation. You weren't on the lease. Maybe you were dating somebody. They're like, yeah, not you're anymore. fleeing you're out. domestic violence. You're fleeing, yeah. or you know, or you're queer, and your family is, is not into that, and so sure. you have to flee that. Um, or there's some big health issue, and it uses up all your money. Right. Um, there's just there is a, there's a story between for every single person out there, and so you're already oh my gosh, I just lost my home, and then things start happening to you. And it's very traumatic to live outside. You can't sleep. Unless you do enough heroin. If you do enough heroin, you can sleep anywhere, which is, which Correct, is terrible. But somebody will kick you in the head and steal your stuff. Oh, that's, oh no! Sleep deprivation is the number one thing I see. I used to have, um, I worked with SF Cares for a while, and I did a theater of the oppressed. Oh, uh-huh. And so... Um, it was mostly guys. The guys would come in. I had donuts. I had coffee. It was in the morning. And we'd do the theater games, and that was all fine. But afterwards, they'd lay down on the sanctuary floor at St. Paulus, where that we were, uh, the office was. And I'd sit there, and I'd do my paperwork. And just, But they knew they were a little more comfortable, yeah. a little warmer. Yeah. Carpet is softer than concrete. And they knew I was watching them and watching their stuff. Right. So they could actually sleep for a few oh. hours. They would all wake up different people. Yeah, Just of a course. few hours of good sleep. Absolutely. But even if you can find a place to get comfortable, you still have to kind of keep one eye and one ear open. Which is why people have dogs. But then if you have a dog, you have no access to shelters. Right, right. The There's 15 catch-22s. It's ridiculous. Yes, yes, yes. You can't bring your partners. You can't bring your possessions. You can't bring your pets. To so a shelter, you can't bring your possessions. A lot of them that you can't, you can bring in a, a like you get a like one drawer yeah you get sure. like one drawer and you can put your stuff in that one drawer and more than one drawer you, you don't just leave it outside and then it goes away wow it just so that's I and mean, then i like the navigation center model better because they let you bring your partner they let you bring your pet they like let you bring your possessions in um but we don't have a lot of beds yet right. i'm really glad the one at the embarcadero is going through i think that's so needed well they just there pulled down a navigation center here on Mission Street in between 15th and 16th. And right. now they're building something. And I thought, well, are they building low-income housing or what are they doing? And no, I think they're just building yeah, expensive I think just, things. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what that building is, but to yeah. the best of my knowledge, it's not. It was a navigation center. It was a navigation center. They put the one in at Divisadero to replace it. But really, you need both. Yeah, exactly. there's a thousand people on the waiting list. <laughs> a- absolutely. And I mean, I have a, I have a buddy who... Uh, became homeless and uh has an he has an addiction yeah yeah. and he was staying here for a while during the day and and sleeping and chilling out but i told him you can't be here at night you just can't because of like my insurance issues right 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 and so you know it was a nice safe place for him sometimes but then it didn't now he's somewhere we don't we don't know and it's really sad because yeah but i've seen him like get better and do less heroin and kind of get himself together and then I've seen it spiral back down but but there are no services and I even said like do you want me to walk you over to general and he goes it's not gonna help and then his mother said call the police and I said I'm not gonna call the police on him I'm not gonna call the police on him yeah right but that's the thing is that no but you can say like what is it what happens to people when the cops are called because our the impetus is someone's in trouble I'm gonna call the cops but then that 
leads to, I don't know, incarceration? And... Uh, usually it just leads to DPW taking their stuff and, the, right. and they get a citation. And so then they get another citation and you get another citation and you get another citation and you don't have any money to Right, pay it's a poor it. tax. It so doesn't people make any just, sense. Yeah, it's a poor tax, exactly. So people blow it off and now you have a bench warrant. Oh. So now even if you get a chance <gasps> to get a job, you've got this bench warrant on your record. Wow. You know, it's just the whole system is set up I don't know intentionally or not, but it's the way it's set up. It makes it so hard for people to get back on their feet. Absolutely. It makes it easy to fall down and it makes it hard to get back up. Because you can't get a job if you don't have a, a residence. Right. You it's have to really have like. It's hard to get a job if you don't have a residence. It's, um, I mean, even if you have like a P.O. box and you're going to put that on your resume, you still right. have to like be able to shower in the morning. Right. Exactly. Right. And you have to be well rested coming to work, which you're not going to be. Um, exactly. You know, and maybe not in terrible pain and like sleeping on the sidewalk tends to really destroy people's bodies. Well, and um, I just recently read a statistic that um, we have 8,500, I like to call them questionably housed, yeah, not yeah. homeless, questionably housed people in San Francisco. But 50% of our population is now over 50. Right. Which is, I'm 45 and I can barely get up and I'm in a bed. I know, right? And like, yeah, I wake up and I'm like, you know, I'm doing my work and I, you know, get up and I like waddle. I'm like, my... Oh, I don't want to <laughs> and, and I'm in a soft, com comfy house with a bed and a chair right, right, and all right, that right. stuff. And I feel my body deteriorating, but I can't imagine sleeping on the concrete. Right. Yeah. It like makes all my arthritis hurt just to think yeah. about it. And um, no pillow. Of no course you don't pillow. have a pillow. You can't have a pillow because you don't, you can't carry it around. Yeah. And, and it gets wet. It's going to get it wet. Gets soggy. That's and then it. it's, and, yeah, and gross. it's the same problem with blankets, socks. That's right. why there's such a huge need for blankets and socks. We give away probably seven, 8,000 pairs of socks in a year. I mean, wow. I, no, I, I'm overstating that. I take it back. Maybe like four or 5,000 pairs of socks in a year. Well, that's 10,000 socks. Easily. Yeah. easily, easily <laughs> 10,000 socks. Because, yeah, 10,000 <laughs> socks. Um, because it's, if you can't launder it, it's disposable. Exactly. You, wore, you wear it and for two or three days and maybe your shoes have a hole in them and it's wet and they're gross. And, right. Um, clean, dry socks are gold on this. And street. right now it's raining. And it's raining. So you everything, I put... I always have socks in my overcoat pocket, but I put them in baggies in the rain so they stay dry at least till I hand them to somebody. Yeah, socks, yeah. rosaries, and Narcan is what's always in my overcoat Narcan. Yeah. Well, and Narcan now, that's its own racket. I think Narcan, they said it costs like $400 a shot now or something. Absolutely. It's ridiculous. Egregiously unaccessible for people who need it most. It's what, ridiculous. So, so now Narcan's only for rich people that overdose on opiates or something, like on their little pills. Right. It's, yeah. It we, should we be. Get it three, we get it free through the Dope Project. So Good. we're super lucky. And, but I like, I hand the boxes out like candy. If anybody says, oh, you got Narcan, can I carry some Narcan? I just like give them my box. Because it saves people's lives. Because it saves people's lives. Yeah. And I don't want to walk up on somebody, you know, doing that slump over thing in the middle of an overdose and not be able to do anything. Exactly. So I always have Narcan in my pocket. I always have. And socks. Well, and I get asked for rosaries a lot. So and rosaries. the rosaries. That's perfect too. Yeah. The, the thing about the Narcan and the thing about the opiate addiction and the heroin addiction and letting people be on the street, I almost feel like the current political administration just wants them to die. I almost feel like they say, oh, you're addicted? Screw you. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Good luck. We're not going to try to say, what's the point of trying to save you if you just want to kill yourself anyway? And it's like, well, when do we stop valuing the intrinsic 
like nature of human life like when when is a person when do they no longer have worth and and does that mean that you've decided i'm saying as society as a whole that this person is worthless and therefore they don't affect me because they aren't a real person. Is that I, what we're doing? I don't know exactly where that line is, but by the time somebody's hit the street, they've crossed that line. Here's what I hear from people all the time. I might as well be a wall. I might as well not be here. Nobody says hello. People walk by and they're saying hello, hello. And you know, I guess people are feeling like, well, I don't have money to give or I'm not going to give. Or, and so you can't engage with somebody. So you can imagine if you go through your whole day making this bid for engagement with people, which is what right. we're designed to do as human beings. We're sure. meant to be in community right from the start in Genesis, right? Man shouldn't be alone, right? Right. You're supposed to be with people. We're designed that way. And evolutionarily too, right? If you're alone out on the Savannah, you're screwed because here comes the lion. Right. right. If you're not friends with cats, <laughs> right, right, right. Ooh. Not those cats. Yeah. So it's really painful to have this hit of you're not in community, you're not in community, which is what our brain feels. Even if you've got your buddies on the street and that's all fine, but you get this hit a couple hundred times a day of you're not an S, you're not us, right. you're not You're us. the other, you're not, so you're not valued, you're not painful. valued, you're not valued it's constantly. It's so painful. Yeah. And, but, but our society does not value people who live outside. Otherwise... They wouldn't be outside. We have 100,000 empty units in this city. I, I, that's exactly what I... You know, and I recognize they're distributed and it's one here. But I mean, but like, come here's, on. here's another thing. Uh, the Transamerica building is only like 50% occupied. The Transamerica building, the symbol of San Francisco has 50% occupancy. Why can't we... They have bathrooms. Why can't we just put a couple showers in? Right. Make and, it, and a make it housing. And a nurse. And, yeah. You know. So for every floor, social worker, nurse, like an RA, like it a counselor. Costs, yeah. It costs less to house somebody with support on site than it does to let them live outside. Yeah. Because every time you get that 911 call for an ambulance because they're ODing or they're drunk or whatever's going on, that's really, that's like. Yeah. $15,000. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. You, Two, three ambulance rides, you can house that person for a year. Oh, you're so smart. You know, I just, Wow, I've never even thought about that. Make, even if you're... DPW, making, when they clean up, how much does it cost right, for them to costing, clean up? And the cops to be there when they could be dealing with real crime. It just... Right. Even if you don't care about people at all, if you're a complete jerk and you're just like, I just want the city to not spend money it makes sense to put people inside. Right. Even if you're coming at it just from a, an, like an economic austerity perspective, which is not my thing, but even if you look at it that way, yeah, right. it makes sense to exactly. put people inside. So that, because people actually, you can do it that way because Salesforce was going to pull out, they, we've actually lost a lot of, um, the city as a whole, a lot of conferences have decided that they're not going to do it in San Francisco because of the poop on because the street the and street. because, well, and it's, it's that when people get ignored and, disvalued for so long that's when their behavior becomes erratic and that's what people are afraid of the reason nobody engages with questionably housed people on the street is that they're scared and the reason they're scared is that people's behave no one likes unpredictable behavior nobody likes it right. so when you act unpredictably it scares people but you act unpredictably because you're being ignored well okay. so it's like yeah it's, i mean it's, it's okay, another so now it's the like, thousandth ah. time this week somebody's ignored you right like I'd be mad. And you yell like, rah, 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 or whatever you yell. Oh, right, right. And it's, and the truth is, most of the folks who are living out there are not erratic. If right. If you smile and say hello. I have 
beautiful conversations. I have these deep conversations about theology, about um, biblical interpretation. Yeah. I think just the other night, I had a really good conversation with a guy who's sleeping outside about like how you interpret the Bible and what, which version is your favorite. And, you know, I wow. have these great, there's these, I feel just, sad for the housed people too, because they are missing out on relationship with really cool people. Right. There are some really cool people. There's, I mean, there's educated people. There's There's, educated people. Absolutely. And it's, it's, but we have, so how do we change as a society, the lens that we see through for houseless people? Like, is that the answer that if we all, I think that's part of it. I mean, it's okay. Raise the minimum wage, put a cap on rent, universal health care. uh, you know, I can go on and on again. I'd start with good prenatal care, then give yes. everybody like pre to three universal. Everybody gets head start. Everybody gets health care. Everybody, everybody. And right. You would see the the un, the unsheltered house or the unhoused rate of people plummet. Sure. Um. You know, and and reasonably priced housing that has some right. you know re- connection you, to reality. You should so be able to that. live here. That's you should the, be able to live here. I mean, like even like firefighters and teachers can't live here. Right. So and they're I serving the here. community. That's I make the thing. Decent, I'm making the best money I've made in my life, and I still can't afford to live in San right. Francisco. Yeah. You know, and I'm not making like six figures or anything, but I'm making decent money. Um. So there's all of that. And then, yes, that lens. And it takes a little courage because what happens, and I don't know of any like studies to back this up, but this is my um, kind of informed opinion from talking to people. If the person sleeping outside is just like me, that could be me. Right. And that generates all this fear. So I have to make them categorically different than me so that I can be safe. If it's just because of their addiction, oh. if it's just because of their mental health issue, if it's just because they made a bunch of stupid choices, I can be safe because I'm not going to do those things, right? right? Well, maybe you are down the line when you know something terrible happens in your life and you're going to do what you need to do to get through the night. But if people can think that way, they can feel safe. Right. And I think it's my sort of educated guests from talking to housed people that that's a big part of it it's a fear thing if i don't make the person who lives outside categorically different than me i'm not safe if they're the same as me oh my gosh my rent could get raised suddenly a thousand dollars a month and you know exactly and and my spouse could leave me and i could have a health issue and then there i am sure and nobody wants to think that i mean i don't want to contemplate sleeping outside i don't think i'd last two weeks no i wouldn't i wouldn't last i mean i'd I would turn to, I would do, I, I mean, I can honestly, personally say, let's say that everything fell apart. I lost my housing. I lost my, my significant other. And I was, I would, I would turn to the, I would turn to sex work. I would turn to the oldest form of profession that I know is illegal, which I don't think it should be illegal. And it, right, I wish right. it, it could, it, it, or if it is punish the Johns, right? Exactly. The sex workers. But, it's, <laughs> but I would, that's the, I would trade I would trade sex for housing. And I'm sure a lot of people do that. I'm sure do. that is very common. I people do. And I think it can turn into even like sex trafficking and can turn into human trafficking there's, when you there's plenty of human trafficking in this city. Yeah. And it's and that's another thing that drives the rents up is the human traffickers and the arms dealers and all those people will buy a building to hide their money, but they have no interest in renting that out. Right. And Aaron Piskin Aaron Peskin's done this cool thing of trying to pass a big fee on empty buildings uh-huh and when they did that in toronto all those people left town and the rents came down that's great like if we could just do it he's tried like two or three times and it 
hasn't happened yet, but I have faith we will do it. Eventually we will see sense and do it. I mean, there's just really kind of easy common sense things we could do to make things better that don't require any real sacrifice on so anybody's part. When I, <laughs> I don't know why we don't do that. When I give people my Transamerica idea, the yeah, yeah. first thing that people say to me is, well, everyone's going to be in there doing their drugs and it's going to be dangerous. And it's like, how much more dangerous is it going to be to house people so here's what than to do. let them live outside? Here's the thing. A, um, I'm a big believer in what they call wet housing, which says come inside first and then we'll worry about getting you sober. Sure. Because frankly, it's hard to sober up even if everything else in your life is good. Yeah. A- addiction is hard to beat, right? So how are you going to beat addiction when you're also outside uh, you know, afraid all the time. Basically, everybody who lives outside gets PTSD. It's worse than combat rates. Sure. Uh, I forget if it, it was either NIH or, or NAMI. I forget which actually did a study about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that said, like, if you live outside for six months, you're going to get PTSD, right? So under that circumstance, how do you get clean? A. Right. So you bring somebody in so at least they have a chance and do some wet housing. And okay, like, if you're going to use fentanyl or heroin or something like that yes you are safer doing that where people can see you because if you od somebody can whip out the narcan and call an ambulance sis is safe injection sites no one's ever died safe injection site no one's ever died at a safe safe injection site take a conference room in transamerica period and and say when you're going to use just come here and we have nurses and we have nurses we have clean needles and and clean needles and narcan and we'll keep and a phone and And we'll keep an eye on you yeah and sure. we'll keep an eye on you. So sure, you and know, beanbags. people will use inside. <laughs> people do use inside. In Pacific Heights, everywhere, people use inside. It's just sure. hidden because it's inside. Everything that happens on the street happens inside. So you're not exacerbating the problem by giving people houses. Yeah. And what they've found in places where they do do wet housing is people's use does decrease. Sure it does. But like, like I said earlier, like yeah, a lot of suffering less. <laughs> right. A lot of people do like opiates and heroin because it makes, they're not in pain. It makes them feel warmer. They don't care that they're right, outside. Right. You don't care about they're anything. Really you're dr- like, everything's yeah, okay. Really drunk, you feel warmer. Even really drunk. You know, you're people, like, everything's fine. People then take fine. off their clothes and I'm like, yeah, no, it's really cold. Let's yeah. go down to Dory. But, right. um, yeah, I watched <laughs> SantaCon last week, and boy, oh boy, those kids—they were drunk oh. and warm in their little tiny, in their tiny Santa little, little outfits. At least they had hats on. So yeah, at least some little kind of tiny hats. Thing. But they're gonna go home and they'll throw up and they'll sleep do, it off. Do you ever on the nights on the streets? Do you talk to the the drunk girls that are like, I'm from Walnut Creek and I'm sometimes. stuck here. I miss the bar. Ugh. Sometimes. I mean, we go into bars, especially the gay bars are really. You supportive. go into bars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're we so cool. Always, well, they support us too. Like the Ducal Court and the Imperial Court are huge supporters of Night Ministry, and we love them. So part of my job is like going to drag shows, which is like I never awesome. pictured this in seminary, but this is awesome. Um, in fact, Olivia Hart, who's a prior duchess, just did our big fundraiser for us uh, in October, and I did my first drag number. Cool. <laughs> um, anyway, so so yeah, we're in the bars for drag shows, and just to stop, I mean, like at one o'clock in the morning, sometimes the bartender has had it, and they need to talk. You know, sure. Like bouncer, we'll talk to the bouncer. But also, you go in, and people see the caller, and they're like, oh, priest in a bar. Like, you know, and so they start asking questions, but then pretty soon you can get in a conversation about them. Or the bartender will say, oh, hi, how you're doing, blah, blah, blah. Here's your coke. You should go sit next to Joe, and I'll oh, go sit wow. next to Joe and find out what's going on with Joe. Sure. So they'll point out people to us. Um, so yeah, it's it's everybody at night. It's not just the unhoused people. It's primarily unhoused people, but it's people who live inside and are panhandling. It's bartenders. It's bouncers. It's people out for a party. Um, 
whoever needs a conversation. And so your goal is to use conversation to create community? Like what would you say your overarching Our overarching goal, goal is to be present when nobody is present. If you need something in the middle of the night, basically either you've got emergency services or you've got hotlines. And like, that's it. And a lot of the hotlines will time you. Like you've got 15 minutes and you're on and you're off. Wow. I can sit with you for a couple of hours if that's what you need. Wow. And I've done that. Um, my record one time was 10 hours, but that was unusual. <laughs> sure. Um, she was suicidal and we got her not suicidal and then she fell and broke her legs. I went through the hospital. Wow. And like on and on and on. Um, but that's an unusual night. Um, but we can take time and, and everybody has an agenda for you if you live outside legitimately i mean like your case manager wants to get you inside so they have some things they want you to do and your social worker has things they want you to do and your family has some ideas about what they think you should do and like everybody's got an idea about what they think you should do so to sit with somebody who's not judging you and doesn't bring an idea about what you should be doing and instead is just saying like what's going on with you what do you need tonight and i've sat with people while they shot up if they need to shoot up while they're talking with me that's okay that's cool do you know people do what they need to do to get through the night and they need to talk about that what happened in their day or that thing they never told anybody and everything in between sure um so we just hear i'm I'm kind of a junkie for other people's stories so it's part of why this job is really good because i get to hear so many stories and see beautiful things happen. You should write a book. I I'm and make but and put the proceeds back to the night ministry. I, I might at one point even write call a book. it night ministry. I mean, I can imagine. Our, I can see Netflix. I can't believe Netflix isn't following you around already. <laughs> Seriously, like, where is Netflix on night ministry? Yeah, I, I mean, it's incredible. It's it's really like the most. I mean, the amazing reality TV show. Yeah, the Chronicles come out with us before. I would be resistant to Netflix because I'm sort of hyper vigilant about our folks' privacy. Right. Sure. Um, and a lot of people even. Like we just redid our website, so we had to have a photographer come along. And right, and you pictures. have to you have to get written consent you get, you or whatever. You get written yeah, consent, so and people, you know, just aren't that jazzed about getting pictures taken. <laughs> well, and everybody knowing that they, but the, I mean, if you wrote the book, I guess they could pick it up and fictionalize it. It doesn't right, have to be a reality right, TV right. show. Or it's, I mean, it have actors. While, I'll, I'll ask if I can tell somebody's story sometime. If I'm like, oh, that'll preach. That'll be a good summer. I'm like, is it okay with you if I share this story? And so I have a few stories like that that I do share. Um, and I, I mean, I could do that for a book. Uh, we do have one book that our first night minister wrote who started back in 1964. Wow. And, you know, things have changed a lot. He was a lot of like, picking kids up off the bus and like turning them around and sending them home before they got picked up by the pimps kind of thing. Sure. Or um, people on acid just walking yeah. around, like losing their minds, losing their minds on hate street in 67. Yeah. Like yeah. how many people were on acid and right. they, they get all crazy. Like what? I mean, talk about unpredictable. Yeah. Uh, if people are having like <laughs> the reality contact is really poor sometimes like okay this is not the best time to engage them or they'll right. like see the one guy i'll never forget he saw the caller he looked at me and he turned and he spat and i thought oh okay this person's not open to conversation i'm just gonna keep walking right so it's not like, the hill you want to die yeah, yeah. on you choose your battles but sometimes people can surprise you there used to be this guy in north beach and he was always talking to the light pole when i went by and so i just let him do his thing but one night i thought 
you know, so I said, good evening. And he looked at me, he's like, good evening. And he went back to his conversation with the light So you never, sometimes there's a lot more there than you might think at first glance. Absolutely. And almost always, actually, I would say there's, there's more there than you would know at first glance. And so it pays to just, you know, I'm not going to be up in people's faces, but I'll probe a little bit. I'll say, you know, how's your night going? And see if they go fine and they like look the other right, way. Like, okay, you know. they don't want to talk to me. And I don't want somebody walking into my living room and just starting a conversation sure, randomly. Sure. But, um, so I just kind of do this gentle approach with people, but end up having all these great conversations and you get to know people after a while, but right. you see the same people in the same place. And, um, and then you start to know people's stories more, or you, you have these conversations that feel very trivial. Hi, how are you? How's your day? Blah, blah, blah. And then maybe a year later, they're like, Oh, not good. My, you know, my kid got killed or whatever, you know, like they wow. can talk yeah. to you about the deep things because you've been building relationships sure, all sure. this time. Um, so it's just, I, I feel like I just go out there, there's the space. Let's see what God does with the space and you can't predict it. And it's just almost every night there's something you're like, Oh, that's what I'm out here for tonight. Almost every night. So your schedule's all out of whack. Like what (laughs) do you work every night? How many? I work four nights, four nights a week. I'm, I'm right now Sunday through Wednesday. Okay. I might be moving to Monday through Thursday, but I don't know yet. And then, uh, the other night ministers fill in the other nights. Gotcha. Um, and, but I'm a night person kind of by nature. Like this is the first job that like actually works with my, it's if I have to get up at 5 AM to be Oof. at the office by nine or six, to, that's like not working. I want to go to bed at 6 AM. So sure, this is sure. really good for my schedule. Yeah. This job. Wow. So what's the, what would you say is the, the scariest thing that's ever happened to you out there when you were like, hmm. that either scared you, like maybe not even scared for your safety, but scared for their safety or scared for the safety of people uh, in general. In general. Yeah. I mean, the first time I went out to meet somebody who was actively suicidal, I was very scared because I was like, okay, do I really know how to do this? You know, oh, wow. This is the rubber meeting the road this time, you know, and I sure. was, well, they trained me, you know, how to do it uh, when I started, but I was very afraid that time. Um, but it was fine. And, um, and I've done so many, I, I don't know if this is a good or bad thing, but like, it doesn't even get my heart rate up anymore, which is a little weird, but, no, I mean, hey. but in a way it's helpful because if you can come, you don't want to bring rushing or like frenetic energy into that kind of situation. Sure. You want to come in with calm energy. Right. So it's kind of, it's good that I'm just kind of like, okay, this is so serious, but I'm not freaking out. Let's play it out. Um, uh, I call you up and I say. Valerie, this is it. I'm done. It's too hard. I can't, I, I can't do this anymore. I, I'm on the street. I've been on, I've been out here for too long. I've got a cold now it's raining and I'm, I'm done. I've got, I've got enough heroin right now that it's, that's it. What, what do I, cause what do I, what am I worth? What, what's the point of me being here? Why did, why did God make me? Yeah. So sounds like you've got a lot of things piling up and that sounds really, really hard. I wonder if I could come see you face to face and we could talk. So try and get face to face. All right. Always. Or if you called the phone counselor and you were saying that they would say, you know, I'd really love to have the night minister, you know, I want you to live and I'd love to have the night minister come see you. And we train our phone counselors how to deal with it too. And how to assess like how suicidal somebody is. Right. But if you're actively suicidal, you've got the intention, you've got the means right there in your hand. They're going to try and get you face to face with the night minister. And then we're going to sit down and, and talk. And probably the first thing I'm going to do is just shut up and have you talk as long as I can keep you talking. Wow. Because I want to hear what's, first of all, you need probably need to be listened to. Nobody's been listening to you. 
and it communicates that I value you, which is big. It's when people are suicidal, they're usually missing a sense of connection, a sense of agency, like they have any control over it or a sense of hope or sometimes all three. Right. And you're just giving me that scenario. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, What's my point in the world? Why am I here? What's God doesn't even love me. Right. Right. So there's like no connection. My parents don't love me. They threw me out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All of it. So we're going to sit and I'm going to listen, 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 listen. And I'm listening for little points of connection, little points of hope, little points of agency. You know, and sometimes you can't get all three often, but if there's any one and I can start to pull that thread and build that up. So if I'm like... I'm a terrible mother. I had a ch- I had a kid seven years ago, mm-hmm. and now I I haven't even talked to her. And I'm and I just what's the point? Why would I do that? Yeah. And then you would say, like, how excruciating. I'd, I'd acknowledge the pain first, um, you know, and say like, what well, was it like the last time you talked to her? And start to or him or right, them, right, right, know, whatever. And and I just start to find is there a little thread of connection there and maybe there's not and oh my god you know how you hear these heartbreaking stories but then we're just gonna kind of keep going and we're just gonna keep going until i can find something that can kind of pull you out of that place right and kind of get you into a safe safer space sure um and there's almost always something some folks just the so many things are so wrong or there are things that are right but they cannot see it no matter what I do right um and so sometimes you just have to go we don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring you know there may be and and often there's like there's been a surprise in the past like you never thought you were gonna meet so and so and it's I'm so sad they're out of your life now but that was a surprise when you met them and we right. know that that surprise is not coming again with someone else tomorrow so just keep I just keep going till I can find something and get somebody a little safe and sometimes people just by the time they say it all they're like okay I feel better now right you know, right they confront easy. it it's out it's out it's and sometimes oh you just it's hard work I, I think that Questionably housed people do have a lot of hope because they play the lottery all the time. <laughs> like there must be some hope there. There's something. There's almost always something you can get a hold of. Sometimes if somebody's um, psychopathology is really se- right. severe, it makes it a little harder because uh, people will just really dig in. But almost always there's something. Pathologique. That's what a, a, <laughs> a lady said on the bus yesterday. She was talking to an invisible person in front of me. Uh, she was a very interesting uh, person uh-huh. and I didn't I was just like alright whatever I right, thought right. she was talking on the phone no then I thought she was talking to a person there was no one there and I was like alright and started just kind of listening because she was definitely talking loudly and right, she was right. like I was built to do drugs you can't do drugs I was built for it some people they go crazy I'll call that pathologique and I was like <laughs> girl that's funny pathologique 